Hey everybody, Chris D here from MacroOps, the place for the best tasting coffee and sushi in the world. Uh, hit up Tyler directly, he's now starting to sell that out of his apartment in downtown Austin, so that's possibly true. Um, just wanted to uh, give a quick shout out to everybody who did not submit their requests uh, for information, but the hundreds and hundreds of uh, requests to get Darren, the volatility trader, and damn good looking gentleman, back on the uh, back on the podcast for round two. We did a uh, two, two and a half hour um, session back in, uh, back in May, and everybody has been hitting me up asking for uh, a round two. And believe it or not, I was able to convince him without the use of sushi and coffee to join us for this, uh, this podcast. Quick reminder of who Darren is. He's a volatility trader. He's definitely the most prolific, uh, in, in, you know, working with other people, talking with other people, giving his thoughts about vol in the macro ops community. And I certainly appreciate that. Anytime I get a good, uh, knowledge bomb from him, it's, it's always worth it. And recent new resident into the Rocky mountains from, the southern part of the United States to the Rockies. And um, anyway, yeah, that's it. That's Darren. Uh, <laughs> we covered it. You know, he's, he's been in, he's a finance grad. He's a vol trader uh, mentored by market makers and prop traders on CBOT. He's built his own systems and has, just runs his family office off of his uh, trading. And I think that's, I think that's the intro. How's that? How's that, Darren? No, that's great, Chris. All right. Good. Welcome, Darren. Welcome, and uh, congratulations on the new digs. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, it's awesome to be back. I'm, uh, hopefully, <clears throat> I made notes of uh, some of the questions that people actually DM directly to me. Perfect. It was really cool to, um, to, to sort of see the overwhelming response. So hopefully I can um, answer a lot of the follow-up questions that people had. Um, so that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, well, you're running that show then if they're DMing you and hitting you with it. Um, but first, what I want to talk about is you said somewhat low cryptic to me when I said, Hey man, well, I sent you a text. Hey man, are we ready to, uh, are we ready to, um, uh, chat? And you said, you know, I can't right now. I, you know, I, I got to close up accounts for the end of the day, but we got a lot to talk about in the vault space. So that's what I'm here for. What do you got? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I think, so just as a, a quick refresher, um, let's just kind of address how vol traders make money. Um, typically, when people say they trade volatility, that is a variation of options trading, um, which is coincidentally one a lot of the questions I kind of, um, that I got immediately after we sort of posted the link was, well, what exactly is a vol trader and how is that different from someone who says they're an options trader? Um, it's, a studled, it's a subtle distinction, but I think it's worth sort of clarifying. Um, the term vol trading, um, the idea is that you're trading the future volatility of whatever the underlying instrument is. Um, typically, the most efficient way to do that is to use its derivatives. It could be warrants. It could be listed options. Um, it could be credit default swaps. Um, but 
the key is is that you're using a combination of um, derivatives and underlying. So underlying could be future or stock to sort of make a forecast on the projected movement. Could be 15 days out. It could be two days out. It could be 30 days out. And so when I told you that the vol volatility space is really interesting now, it is because particularly in the SBX, but in other markets too, from gold to Bitcoin to corn um, to the currencies, there's a lot of really strange, unique stuff going on. And it's one of the things I did want to talk about because I think I'm not, listen, I'm not an alarmist. I'm not doomsday guy. That's really not where I'm coming from. However, I do see some things, particularly in the equity, equity indices in their vol that, um, are kind of making my my ears perk up a little bit. Um, one being, even though the historical volatility or the realized volatility on the ES, SPX, whatever one you follow, isn't that high, we've been having, and this has been going on, I would say, since March or February, we've been having this very gappy, sort of jumpy, binary um, realized movement. And What's happened is the term structure, so the, the VIX futures, the volatility futures, has been pretty much flat. Um, so that short vol trade has kind of been taken away, uh, at least the systematic one. But in the, in the indexes, you can't really short vol right now, at least I wouldn't, either using options or the ETPs, because there's this, there's this weird thing, and you really have to sort of drill down into the details to catch it, but it's like... Trump will tweet something, will jump either way, whether it be down 2% or down 1% or up 1.5% or 2%. And that doesn't really get reflected because of the nature of how the standard deviation of returns is calculated. But it causes a lot of discomfort for people who have volatility-based positions on, right? So the, the actual sort of volatility ETP, ETPs, they don't they either go down a little bit or they don't move at all or the vix futures flatten out and nobody's really able to get a good trend going either on the short side or on the long side and the trend is ultimately how we make money right so and and that's something that i'm seeing and the last time at least in my anecdotal experience that i've seen this sort of sh strange action in the vol markets was 2011. Um, I know a lot of people like to go back to 2015 because that there was a giant move in August of 2015. But 2011 is what this reminds me of the most, uh, where you're coming into a summer with, you know, kind of a spooked out volatility market, spooked out options market. Um, but everybody's hedged and we're kind of just going parabolic to the upside. That concerns me. And the only reason I wanted to bring it up on here was because if there are people who are, you know, in the ML community, the macro ops community that are selling puts or selling downside skew, just be careful um, because I don't like what I'm seeing. And, and to a point where even though right now you may have, you know, one or two volatility points in terms of the volatility risk premium. So the difference between what's implied in the options market versus how much the actual SPX is moving, even though that that number may be above zero. I think that can be sort of a value trap. And I think people need to be really careful with that because I really don't like what I'm seeing. Um, I just, I, there's, there's this get, it's like 
one day we can wake up and be down 200 points in the ES. And I think that's reflected in the volatility markets. Now, it may all smooth out and we, we may go to, you know, zero interest rate, zero percent short term rates, and everything may just rally and keep going above 3000 all that. That may happen. But when I look at specifically the volatility landscape, it's not necessarily reflecting that. And so that's just something that I want to pay attention to. I wanted to bring up. And then with respect to gold, um, gold and some of the crypto stuff, if you look at the volume in those markets, it's through the roof. And again, that's another thing that makes me wonder, like, hmm, are the markets that we kind of use as a proxy for risk, are they signaling something to us? Are they saying something to us that maybe things aren't as kosher as they look, right? And so obviously you've had Alex on and you guys have talked about sort of the macro fundamentals and who am I? I'm not going to challenge Alex on that, but I'm just saying that from a volatility standpoint, I'm looking at the skews. I'm looking that people are for the most part, they're hedging their equity portfolios, at least from the options flow that we're looking at. Um, but I just, just be careful. And and that would be my only thing. Um, and I'm sure you've noticed this and cause I've been tracking this too. There's been this weird positive correlation between gold and Bitcoin. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know how to interpret that. I'm not sure what the narrative is around that. But again, you know, whether it's bond vol, whether it's gold, whether it's cryptocurrencies, all of these markets that are sort of what we would traditionally consider safe havens, um, the IV is slowly creeping up. The skews are are turning into smiles. And to me, that just signals, hey, caution. It's not a complete, you know, crash is coming, but just a caution. And so that's what I that's what I mentioned to you in the in our conversation. Yeah, I um, I there's a lot right there. <laughs> so um, I, you know, I, let me take the the gold and uh, Bitcoin thought real quick, and then I want to circle back on on how to identify vol. Um, I feel that it, so well, certainly when Hong Kong is now, or China can now go in and arrest Hong Kong residents. Uh, and as you know, the due process in China is a lot different than the due process in the United States. So there's a lot of wealthy, wealthy people. I mean, that's like the formerly the center of uh, finance and still uh, for a good part, the center of finance in Asia. So there's a tremendous amount of money there. And now China can just, you know, there's, there's something like 55 or 85,000 U.S. citizens in Hong Kong. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was a little... Um, fired up about that, flew over to China and said, look, you know, this law of yours is, uh, is not going to work for us. Um, so, you know, that kind of thing is playing out. I know a lot of Chinese, or uh, I'm sorry, a lot of money in Hong Kong is trying to find a new location for it. And so, you know, moving it to crypto and, and as well in China, anytime we have any sort of financial concerns in China, we, te we tend to see a an uptick in Bitcoin. What's interesting, and, and the reason I bring that up, it's Bitcoin, not crypto. You know, the world is, uh, right. you know, so, so many people are so focused on all the alts, like, okay, Bitcoin's rallied, alt season. And, you know, these alternative cryptocurrencies, people keep trying to put bets on them. And so they take their money out of Bitcoin, and they get into, you know, Ethereum, Litecoin, and, 
you know, Tron and, and whatever. And for the most part, the only alts that have been doing any movement are those that are related to Chinese projects. So not that I would chase those down. I mean, Bitcoin is the main asset that I focus on in the crypto space. And so you have people who are taking money out of Bitcoin and then, you know, traders or whatever, and they're trying to get on something else because they think alts are about to rally because those are face ripping rallies, even more so than Bitcoin. And suddenly Bitcoin continues to get that steady bid, you know, people buying Bitcoin to get their money out of their home currency fiat. It's, you know, I could wire, we talked about this in the, in our, in our chat, like I could, you know, I could wire you a billion dollars and that would take some work to get done, right? Going to the banks and doing all the approvals and just a lot of work. Whereas I could send you a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin and that takes a, you know, a couple of minutes at most. And there's nothing that there's no documentation. There's no uh, request to get my own money from me. So anyway, that's that's one thing I think that's happening. Gold is obviously uh, a good, um, you know, you can buy futures and take delivery. So there's some interesting ways to Bitcoin currency or currently it just got approved. The CFTC just got approved or just approved a uh uh, asset-backed Bitcoin futures contract, but currently the CMA is just notional. So um, anyway, those are, those are something I think, and, and what's interesting about that is this also happened at the same time that we have uh, the pig situation in China, just like basically more pigs in China were killed than exist in all of the United States and Europe, I think so far this year, and it's that epidemic that they have. So. Uh, naturally all crops are going to, uh, you know, they're going to have to fill that void. And so that could be one of the big reasons we have, uh, I, I assume that's a big reason why we have corn ripping the way it did. Uh, so right. it's kind of interesting. All those, it, it all seems to be centered and, and really to take that back, the one, one thing I've been very, you know, step away from crypto. One thing I've really been focused on is the U S dollar, Hong Kong dollar, um, and, and I've been tweeting a lot about this and sharing it everywhere I can. Every time, well, in, in 2018, right before the big September sell-off, we had the dollar lose a good chunk of value versus the Hong Kong dollar. And then about a week later, you know, from all-time highs in, in the S&P, we had that, you know, that, that rough sell-off. And then it happened again in December, which is when we got that big, big acceleration to the bottom. We're right there right now. We're at today. We are at the exact same level on USD, HKD, Hong Kong dollar, US dollar. Um, and we're at all time highs on the S&P. So, you know, this time could be different. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe it has no indication of what is to come. But when you talk about vol and complacency, you know, we, we have a simple, you know, steady uptick. This is a bull quiet regime. And when you have bull quiet regimes, you have just a steady uptick that, you know, people start to get snarky and angry with, but it just keeps ripping everybody's head off and you keep trying to short it and you keep trying to short it and, you know, or, or you just keep buying every dip and the, the two minute dip. So I'm seeing a lot of what you're saying on the, on the vol. How would you, time for Chris to shut up, how would you, like, how would it, how would somebody who just, let's say I'm pulling up the charts, how would it render itself on charts the volatility situation you're talking about is there a way for a simpleton like myself to see um it depends on the on the charting platform that you use i use um like i mentioned last time i use uh quick strike 
um, because I primarily um, use the futures options. And so I use QuickStrike and they have like pro level analytics. So, I mean, I can track everything from the risk. Rev- I, I tend to really look at the risk reversals as a proxy for SKU. Um, and then I look at the at the money vaults. So, for example, I'm looking at the ES right now with the 80 day uh, DTE on the um, September future. And we can see at the money vault. I mean, so intuitively what you're saying or what you're you're seeing just from price um, is reflected in the volatility. So the at the money straddle, the at the money vol is down two vol points this from week to week. Um, so and here's the thing is that's justified. I think my perspective is, again, going back to what we talked about initially, I'm always thinking about value and where where the edge is. Um, and so I don't see much value selling an ES or an SPX straddle at 11% vol, 12% vol, because how much lower are we going to go, right? And this is where it kind of gets a little wonky in terms of the details and how standard deviation is calculated. But I, I hear you, Chris, when you say it's, 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 bull, it's bull quiet. The problem with that is, though, is that when we – and this goes back to sort of the, the mechanics of how we express volatility opinions um, – we don't have a way to just simply trade um, implied volatility sort of explicitly outright. We have to use, generally speaking, we have to use options or we have to use VIX products, which have their own risk premium built into it, right? And so because of that, when we use options, there's there's something called path dependency, right? These these So we have strike prices, so we're, we're, we're stuck with the path dependency. So what I'm getting at is when you have these, even though historical volatility can be, let's say, 9% or 10% or 8%, which is low, which is quiet, that doesn't mean that there aren't gaps that affect your short strike. And if you're undercapitalized and you can't hedge that delta, you can still lose money, right? And so from my perspective, you're right. Like if I look on a close-to-close basis, right, Um it's not moving that much. But when I look at intraday, and you have to think about it, you know, most of the, of the volatility traders are not purely 100% algorithmic or systematic. And so when I look at, you know, we, we may come in in the morning and we're down 1%, but then we close basically unchanged to up a little, right? I may have made, you know, discrete hedging, delta hedging decisions based on when we were down. And the only thing I'm saying is these gaps in these in these um, tweets that that trigger these sort of events, it can be kind of a nightmare to manage your position with that. Um, and now, if 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 you're traveling or if you don't look at this stuff or you don't have any sort of um, fiduciary responsibility, and you can just you know put the position on and not look at it and let the deltas run wild and then you know come back and it's unchanged for the day, that's fine. But most traders don't have that luxury. <laughs> and so that's that's the only thing that that and, and that's where I've seen um, in uptrending markets. A lot of times um, I've seen where a lot of sort of novice options traders who don't realize that they're also volatility traders lose money um, because the, what happens is this is why I always look at the skew um, and typically um, I look at the risk reversal for like uh, the 25 delta. But I'm always trying to see how cheap are those calls and how expensive are those puts relative to each other. 
Um, and that's really important to me because particularly in the SBX or the ES, um, I don't want to sell cheap calls. You know, if you look at uh, the CBO has right, a bunch right. of really cool indexes for um, covered call writing, for short puts. They have an index for every sort of options strategy. And what you'll see is they've all done horribly. They've done horribly over the past decade. But the reason is, is, you know, everybody's in this rush to systematize and they're selling calls where there's no vol edge in them. And so knowing that, plus what we're talking about with this sort of um, subtlety within how um, standard the standard deviation is calculated, um, that can lead to you selling those calls or call spreads and kind of getting your position blown out. Um, and so because you're not being adequately compensated for the risk that you're taking on and being able to identify that ahead of time before you put the position on is really, really important. And ultimately, in the long run, over a thousand trades, 2000 trades, that's what will determine whether or not you make money. And so that's like crucially important. And so that's why I'm always looking at, uh, you know, people always ask, well, what's the one measure that you look at? I don't just look at one measure. <laughs> I look at a composite of different ways to look or volatility mm -hmm. in order to figure out, okay, what's, what's actually happening here? Because I can't afford to delude myself. You know, like you said, but quiet. Yeah, but quiet. But are there a lot of gaps happening? You know, are, are there a lot of, you know, tons of turbulence intraday on like a like something that an ATR calculation would pick up or for the nerds out there, like a, a, a Parkinson's high low vol in quant lingo that would pick up. But I'm not seeing it on a close to close basis. If so, then I need to take note of that and then look at what the options market is pricing in on the upside and say, OK, do I really want to sell those? Is the straddle really a sell here? Maybe it's a buy. Right. And so these are just the things that I'm looking at. And typically, this is something that I pay attention to. Typically, when it just gets ridiculously complacent. And so if you think about it like a seesaw where one side is just way up in the air and the other side is is, is into the ground. That's where I start to take pause. Like, wait a minute, this. This doesn't make any sense. And perhaps I want to take the other side. So, yeah, I um, I mean, so, you know, a characteristic of a of a bull um a bull quiet is low atr and just a steady drift higher that is in essence you know you're just kind of like we're still going up you know we're still going up and you know your your atr the volatility if that's what your measurement is absolutely is just it it gets pushed down and and so trying to short which, which makes this, this sort of trading so hard, right? Because the top that you're going to squeeze out, let's just, let's just go directional. Let's just be, you know, super simple about it. You're, you're hoping to get from 20, sorry, you're on my, it's on the screen there, 29.79 to 3,000. So you're, that's, that's not you, but the, you know, the, the normal, the, the person who's participating in this. Which would be shorting, uh, shorting the VIX, generally speaking, right? It, right. What you're saying, um, right. the volatility that's, world. That's, that's that's the new, that's the modern way of doing it. You know, those of us that are old and you know, old in trading years, um, remember a time when you didn't have VIX products. You know, I mean, you had the VIX options, which were essentially options on the futures until expiration. But like, 
now, you know, you can just go to UVXY or SVXY or products like that. But yeah, you're right. Like it's usually people usually go to the VIX. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and well, let's just, let's just see what VIX, uh, we're at 12.9 right now on the, on the index, the VIX index itself, uh, 12.9. And when, you know, when you like, it doesn't take too much work to open up a chart on the VIX and, you know, you throw on a, a monthly, put on a monthly time frame, and look where you are. You're closer to the bottom than you are the top, right? So opportunity to, not that that means anything, by, you know, one thing I want to, like, from my perspective, just because, you know, I trade volatility compression on price action. And, uh, you know, my first requirement is compressed volatility. So without compressed volatility, I can't have an expanded volatility trade uh, or a, fail, a failure. And so that, that's kind of the thing. You can sit here and say, yeah, we've got compressed volatility on the VIX. Uh, just <laughs> to, to note, the setup on my volatility has been compressed since April of 2013. Um, so you would have been, if, if you're just the sort of person saying, ah, you know, any day now, uh, it, it's just historically low vol <laughs> any day now. Uh, you've been right. waiting for, for six years for that trade to set up. But... Um, and it and it's, it happens in one day. It blasts out and it drops back in the band. So trading, you know, volatility expansion and contraction on VIX is not my forte. But seeing things much like when you look at the S and P, going back to, um, I'm going to take a look. So 2011 was the flash crash, if I recall. The flash crash happened in May, but then in August it was the debt downgrade. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the U.S. got downgraded by. Uh, Moody's, is that who it was, or S&P? Yeah, and, it, and, and things went bananas. And I yeah. traded through that. And I traded, you know, a, a, a large set of managed accounts through that. And I can tell you that the circumstances that let... See, this is the thing. is in This in, it, this is why what I'm saying, like, when I said in the last, uh, our last podcast, everyone is a volatility trader, whether they realize it or not. Um, that's really an example of because there are different ways to measure what i'm doing and whether it's atr or whether it's uh you use high low ranges or whether you use close to close or whether you use close to open which is the other overnight you need to be looking at all of these and then furthermore you need to calibrate how price is actually moving so you're trying to get to the truth of what actually is occurring and then you need to synchronize that and calibrate that with your trading style. And the best traders are able to do that. Where I see people get in trouble is when they don't have a, a, a reasonably high efficacy way of measuring volatility on the time frame that they're looking at. And then furthermore, they compound the problem by not being able to implement tactics that complement the volatility, the way the, 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 their market is moving. And so if you can, if you can calibrate both of those, if you can synchronize both of those, um, then you'll be a pretty good trader. But when those get out of line and out of whack, so for example, and we talked about this last time, a market that, as you would say, has compressing volatility, right? Like there's, there's only a, a handful of tactics that me personally that I would implement on if I even touched it at all, right? Yeah. And, and so 
you need to always be thinking about price movement, even if you don't want to use quantitative terms like volatility or historical volatility or realize or term structure or any of those those terms and dig into those calculations. You're still trading something. You need something. We all need movement. Right. Yeah, and so yeah. that's just something that you have to be aware of. And as far as as is the the ES or the S the S and P, um, the conditions that I saw in 2011 that I ignored because I was like, oh well, you know, this is how things have been, and there's a (laughs) positive there's there's a positive volatility risk premium, meaning that what's implied in the options at the at the money straddle is larger than. Um, how much we're currently moving over the past 10, 15, 20 days, even though that, that number's positive, I'm seeing turbulence. I'm seeing tremors, right? And so this is when we talk about sort of the stylized properties of volatility, things that we can almost consider um, fundamental laws of nature of, of, of the volatility of, of equities. Um, we know that we get tremors before our earthquake, right? So I love Tlaib and I love everything he talked about, um, in terms of black swans and how he sort of introduced that into like our everyday language and vernacular. But the fact of the matter is most corrections, if not crashes, are somewhat predictable, just like earthquakes are somewhat predictable, right? Because that's where the, the math and the, and the underlying science really borrows from. So typically, like going back to 2011, you saw stuff, whether it was in the, the, the skew for the 30-day, 60-day, 90-day, or whether it was in um, the ATRs. Like one of the things I like to look at is, okay, is the 10-day ATR above the 20-day ATR, and is that above maybe a 60-day ATR? So that would be the equivalent of like a backwardated term structure. That's telling me that, okay, even if on a close-to-close basis we're closing unchanged, intraday all hell is breaking loose. So So if you think about it in terms of an airplane, that's a really turbulent flight. That should set off an alarm, right? That should activate your critical thinking faculties as a per- as, as a volatility trader and say, you know what? Maybe I want to cut my bullish deltas down, or maybe I don't want to be bullish at all, or maybe I want to go to cash, right? So that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. And in in 2011, even so, there obviously there was a thing in May, the flash crash, and that was in 2010. I'm sorry, but there was there was turbulence going into that. Um, up to that July where we had like a, a you know, series of one, 2% moves, a lot of intraday movement. And that should have been an indicator that, Hey, I need to be cautious. Right. And those set of circumstances are the same thing that I'm kind of seeing right now, which is why, you know, due to experience, I'm like, Hey, you know what? Maybe cause, cause typically if the if the risk premium is positive, you want to sell it. It's almost become like a factor of sort. Like you want to sell it, but if you can avoid the times where disaster strikes, that's how you keep all your money. And so those are and 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 that's just really what I'm seeing. And then when you start to add on what's going on with gold volatility, both the realized and the implied gold gold ATRs, gold historical vols, the ten days above the twenty day. I'm looking at it right now. Um, so, I mean, that's something that, again, why has gold volume been up so much? What are the, what, what are the guys in the, in the, in the gold that, that are making markets and gold options? What are they seeing in terms of the order flow that's making the vol spike like that? 
And then in turn, that's leading to lots of underlying movement, right? And so with when you start putting the whole picture together, to me, it says at least be cautious or, or scale back. That's just, that's that's how I see it. So, yeah, I um, I can't I couldn't agree more. If you're, you know, <laughs> uh, the thing the thing that's hard about these always is that it's a short setup in and of itself. Usually, when I you know at the at the market turns, you usually have a series of excellent shorts that fail. Um, Beautiful short rejection, like we had. Let's, um, like my charts are updating and just being angry with me at the moment. Um, yeah, they are. Uh, like we had, let's see, it was about, well, it was about a month ago, right? Beginning of May. We had a nice sell off on the SP after all time highs. And, you know, it just looked like it was going to go. And then we get this bounce and we're right back up to new highs and closing on our highs. Yet again today, uh, yep, yep, and you know every short that looks perfect. So on the twentieth, we had a beautiful short setup. Twenty third, you get filled, and you have a you know you make a couple of points on that one. Looks good. Looks like you're off to the races, and then it just rips, and that's you know that is super discouraging as a you know as a short term or well not short term trader as somebody who looks to go bi directionally. Um, right, right, right. You know, you, you line up with, okay, we have a, you know, more downside than we have upside ahead of us. Like the, the shoreline is right in front of us. We're, you know, at new all-time highs. So I can see the shore. It's within sight. And behind me is this vast ocean, just open water down to, you know, 600 <laughs> on S&P. Um, you know, the bottoming area uh, back in 2008, 2009, I think, or 2009. Um, you know, there's a lot of ocean available there. So it just looks juicy. But yeah, it's, you know, we talked about this before uh, the call. We were talking about the unemployment in the United States. And it's just overwhelming how, um, just how, you know, how hard it is to get any work done. You were talking about, you, you, <laughs> you were trying to get somebody to come and uh, come and do some work at your house and, and you called six people and they didn't even return the phone call. They're just like, couldn't be bothered. They were too busy or, you know, money's just flowing everywhere for everything. So it, it's a very interesting place to be. And I definitely, you know, like you, these signs are there. Absolutely. I'm seeing these signs. And, you know, one thing I got to say, thank goodness for that uh, e-micro S&P. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that, that, and it actually works. It works good for, um, for volatility traders, too, because you can get more granular with your hedges. Yes. So yeah, it's actually, the CME really hit a home run with that product. I mean, you know, the thing I always wonder is why did they? What took them so long? Right? Like these people have been. I mean, it's just great. It's always great for the business when more people are involved and can have access Agreed. to trading to trading markets. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I did want to just continue to reiterate is that, you know. You're you're absolutely right that like timing that sort of top um, before that correction is absolutely a very difficult thing to do. Um, however, I guess I'm speaking to more of the people who are positioned like short gamma, short a lot of volatility could be short UVXY or long SVXY like you mentioned or short of VIX future. 
um, those people don't have those people have a nonlinear sort of risk on. And so they can't afford to just glide along sort of the bull drift, right? Because when it happens, it's probably going to happen. We're going to wake up and it's going to be bad, right? That's how it always happens. And so you need to be proactive if that's the route you want to take, if that's how you choose to make your money in this business. Um, and, 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 you know, removing the worst two losses for the year, that makes your year. If, if you're a person who likes to sell volatility, likes to short the, the ETPs, likes to sell downside in the SPX, likes to short fixed futures. And so you don't have the luxury of, 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 of waiting until just in time to try to hedge or to try to stop out. It just doesn't work like that. These things jump. Right. And so that's why I keep saying, and then now does that now, and I think you bring up a really good point. Does that mean that we need to go out and buy super expensive puss in the SPX or go short in the ES or whatever? No, it doesn't mean that, but it's all about, again, it's about keeping, cause you know, anybody can make, the million bucks anybody can make the money while the regime is is fruitful right the way that you make it is by keeping 80 percent of it yes and people just do not people don't want to understand that give back 15 percent of it give back 20 percent of it but keep a majority of it keep a bulk of it and the way you do that is by he- taking heed to the warning signs when they're there you know, don't if you wait, if something happens and, and we get into a war with China or, or, or Iran and it gets worse and they're more of a formidable opponent than we saw and they attack anything that happens by then, it's too late for the for the person who has that risk profile in their portfolio. It's too late. You know, because yeah. keep in mind that if you're short of fixed future or even the ETPs, for that matter especially right now with the term structure being relatively flat, Contango's not that high between M1 and M2, month one and month two. Um, you know, your fixed future can go from 15 to 60. So what does your account look like if that happens to you? <laughs> yes. Well, and, and that's, that's how it usually works. I mean, almost always you, you don't have a slow drift higher on volatility. You have a slow drift lower and a massive yep. spike to high yep that's another that's another one of the stylized properties that we've learned from from the the great quants and in, in in the volatility space is that it says um you know the the mean reversion of volatility it can be quick but typically there's a drift down like you said you know you take um the 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 stairs down and the elevator up yeah. right and so you always have to be on guard for that if you're a person that just that that likes to harvest sort of that fact the the vol factor the short vol factor in that way. I've never I've never really picked a side. Um, I kind of just I, I do sort of the relative value. I try to find pockets of value um, in in ways that where I can really get paid if I'm right. Um, and and part of that is a function of like you know. I, I, I'm not a, a, a $500 million fund, right? I'm not a billion dollar fund. So um, just sitting back and clipping coupons doesn't really appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense. 
but if you are one of those people that wants to do that, just be aware of the nonlinear risk that you have. Right. You have to be, you know, this is how insurance, the good insurance companies, this is how they stay in business for hundreds of years. Right. Is is knowing when not to sell it, when not to not necessarily when to <laughs> when to when to, you know, when to buy the credit default swap. It's when when do I not write it? Yeah. And Just... that seems like that seems like a sort of um, a minor detail, but it has huge knock on effects. And those are just, that's just something that I just, if for anybody who's listening, I really, really, really want to hammer that home. Um, especially with us coming into July and then going into August, we just don't know. So just be proactive. And now here, here's the thing. I could completely be wrong and look like a complete paranoid jackass and we could go to 4,000 from here. But that's okay because guess what? I'm still in business, right? Totally, Yes. There's so. there's a lot of meat between twenty nine seventy nine and four thousand to to take out of it too, and it's definitely I mean unless it is directional and we just gap up and day after day after day after day lock limit. Um, do they still lock limit to the upside? I don't know. I, I can't recall seeing a lock limit in a long time on the upside. Yeah, and the only thing I look, I was looking on this, the CME the other day, and I think it was like five percent to the downside is when they turned the the circus on or something like that you people can go yeah. to the same website they it's real uh real easy to find out is it but, three four and five percent or something like that like yeah but yeah. I, I didn't i don't remember the upside though <laughs> that's what i'm saying it's been it's been 20 years or so since i've seen an upside lock limit and i don't know if that's the case or not i don't know if it was a i, I mean 20 years ago i was far better looking i which you know <laughs> I, I um, doubt that i don't know <laughs> you're, you're, you're quite the looker now bro <laughs> It's all my wife. Um, anyway, yeah, I, uh, I I can't recall, but um, you know, a, a Bitcoin or gold type move in uh, in that or corn, I should say, in the S and P is is the least likely outcome, which could eventually make it the the you know actual outcome. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, that's uh, that is a interesting thought. Like I said, you know the. Basically, we have the 2009 lows, and you have which which has us at was at 600 and something, if I recall, on the S and P, um, to 3,000. Like that's the. You know, let me look here, just so I know. 665.75 was the S and P low print in 2009. Ten years later, <laughs> it's just crazy. Five times higher, almost. Um, just crazy to think that that's actually a a thing, but yeah. The um, so so yeah, dude. I'm looking. At, I'm I pulled up gold's stuff, and just as an example, gold's calls are bid through the roof. Uh, I'm looking at the from huh. the five delta calls bid up to eighteen percent vol. This is on the fifty six DTE on the gold futures, the OGU nine. Um, the 10 Delta calls bid up to like 17 <laughs> or so. Um, the 15 Delta calls right at 16%. Um, the at the money straddle is right around 13%, which I mean, all this, this is a lot for gold, right? Like, yeah. so I mean, when you see people reaching out that far on the gold risk reversal, it's like, man, like 
what are people seeing, you know? And, 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 and I want people to know, like, you know, don't necessarily be alarmed, but think of opportunities, right? Like think of ways, you know, do you want to sell that gold skew? Do you feel like that's overpriced? Now, again, this is all up to you. You know, this is not investment advice, all of that, all the disclaimers, but you want to look at this and say, okay, if these calls are bid up, could I sell these calls, um, by the future, flatten my Delta out and perhaps, you know, gold only exhibits, you know, 11% vol on the upside and I get to pocket five vol points because I'm hedging my Delta. You know, these are all the different ways that you want to look at, um, the different opportunities. So when these skews and these risk reversals get bid up to one side or the other, that's, that's opportunity. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, it, you know, you just want to be mindful of these things. So even directional guys, like you said, who are maybe looking at the options, don't buy the calls, right? Like maybe, maybe sell a couple puts to buy the calls so that you don't lay out that much and try to get it for a credit if you can. Um, you know, th these are just things you want to be aware of when you're when you're when you're when you're trading, and 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 know that this is opportunity. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, so yeah, gold is uh, on the 56 DTE. The calls are really bid. Um, the at the money straddle is basically unchanged week over week. So the boss kind of remained elevated and just flatlined. Um, yeah, so these are just, you know, these are just things you want to look at. I mean, I'm looking at it across the board. It's basically, it's up a little um, across the, sort of the term structure, the different futures. But so in other words, vol is bid up and it's sticking there, which yeah. tells you that there's more movement to come. Um, now, which way? I don't know. But the market, the, the at least the option market and the way the order flow is coming in is saying that we're going to get a lot of movement. Um, and so, yeah, that's just, just something to keep in mind. Um, let's look at corn. I'm looking at corn. Okay. Corn is interesting. Um, vol down pretty much across the term structure at the, at the money straddle. Let's look at the risk reversal 50 days out. It looks like. Corn is still, the calls are ridiculously big. The five Delta calls in corn, 52 days expiration, are 40%. So the vol in corn is through the roof. So again, like everything we're discussing right now, is, it's not advice, but there is perhaps opportunity. Yeah. Um, I'm looking I'm looking at this vol, I'm thinking, wow, you sell the calls, buy the future, flatten it out. That's a, that's a pretty good vol trade. Um, again, like, um, and and so the vol has gone down only so with these with some of these ags and some of these commodities um obviously a shortage or any sort of um crop scare the upside is kind of where sometimes the risk is so that's why you'll see um the calls get really bit up in times of like turmoil or disarray or news headlines and so you see people hedging to the upside um and so that's a form of a risk premium um, and it's just up to you, the, the operator, the discretionary trader to go in and get good at valuating these things and figure out, okay, um, perhaps this is a little bit overdone. Maybe I need to sell it. Right. And so with that huge reversal we had in corn, I know you probably saw it. The, the reversal move was vicious. I mean, you're talking about from a high of, I'm looking at the, 
I have the deep fishers pulled up now, but you know, a high of uh, 45775 yeah, 457.75 to a low of 426 in corn just a radical reversal bar right yeah yeah and but you can still sell those calls those calls are still bid up in vol terms on the tails you can still sell those and maybe flatten out the delta and perhaps get some good good vol points right but this is how i go through the different markets and i look for opportunities i look to see you know what is overvalued what's cheap what do i like or you know on the flip side just looking at corn you know, maybe you might want to take a stab at, you know, looking at buying the 20 Delta put and saying, hey, you know what? Um, this is cheap relatively um, relative to the calls. You know, maybe I, I'd buy these puts and take a stab on the downside and, and maybe look at a gap fill down to, you know, 385 or so. Right. Like these are just different ways to sort of go through. The change, the volatility, the, the the charts and the technicals, and figure out okay, where do I see the possibility for an edge, and how can I how can I create a trade expression or a trade structure that gives me an asymmetric profile? It's not about income unless you have unless you're a big bank at the at the table and you can afford to just sort of clip coupons or or you know make pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters. For the rest of us, it's about trying to get paid on a correct forecast. Um, and so you just have to go through these things, take your time, be methodical, um, and, and come up with your own valuation and your own forecast, and then place the trades um, according to, you know, it could be Kelly criterion, it could be fixed fractional, it could be any sort of position sizing that, that, that you choose to use. I like Kelly. I just do have Kelly um, because I just I think it works. But it doesn't. It doesn't have to be that. It could be, you know, a fixed, a fixed fractional, position sizing algorithm, whatever your your rule set is. But you know, that's how you do this, and that's how you eventually get good at it. And the more you stare at this stuff, the more you read the things that Alex and some of these other really brilliant guys put out um, on the macros, and then you you'll start to see that the things that they're discussing are are reflected in the in the option volatilities in the order flow. Um, and when I say the order flow, I don't mean like staring at time and sales. I mean like option volatilities are set based on customer order flow, right? So market makers are not like superhuman people or aliens or anything like that. Um, all they're doing is adjusting the implied, volat implied volatilities on a strike-by-strike -strike basis based on customer order flow. So if customers are coming in, if you have a lot of farmers and a lot of um, – producers that are coming in and want to buy a lot of corn calls, then the market maker is going to have to take an offsetting position. And in order to prevent being run over, because all he's really trying to do is make the spread between the two, he has to raise the volatility until he can get some sort of equilibrium to where people will just stop buying the calls. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and so that's all. And so what that's telling you is that when you look at corn, for example, there's a whole lot of people really nervous about corn skyrocketing from here, even after this collapse that we just had, right? And so that's something that I keep in the back of my mind. Like, now, I'm not saying that these people are all-knowing, right? But that's something that I would keep in the back of my mind. And even still, I probably still may go ahead and sell those calls and hedge my delta and try to capture that volatility, right? So this is just kind of the thought process and in, in, in learning how to analyze this stuff to actually try to make some money for yourself. 
Yeah, I, um, I posted a chart on uh, historical to 1981 corn, and it has only breached this for, I want to call it, let's say, 430 area ever. Um, actually, more like, it's not showing me the high. Let's call it 430. It's only yeah, breached 430, it. 430, 438. I see exactly where you're looking at. Yeah, it's only breached that high. Uh, one, two, three, four times, uh, five times, and it looks like four out of five times has resulted in a doubling, nearly, you know, almost a doubling, at least, at least, well, 25% the first time, and then, you know, getting up over 800 eventually in the, you know, around 2013, I think it is, um, so wow. this this breach, yeah. So this breach of that 438, 439 area and rejection is doesn't mean that this this story is over just because it got rejected instantly on that. Um, it it loves to stay between you know closer between two and three hundred, which up until uh, two thousand six or seven, the new floor, the new regime came in at like three hundred to four hundred. So right, exactly. Yep. It's an inter it's an interesting one. So this is a market that I mean, for most you know, a lot of people they don't they they don't trade ags, um, and or you know anything outside of or the softs or the ags or the metals or well metals and energy are pretty highly traded, but these are you like corn and wheat and soy, the different soy complex are just insane movers when they get going like that that can cripple economy uh well, you know. and chris you know what it's it, that's perfect it's a perfect segue into another one of the questions that came up um a couple times a couple people dm me um and this is another thing and i because i tried to write down or at least think about um a lot of the issues that people will face when they're alone and they go to do this by themselves and they don't have a mentor or they don't have help right and so you bring up something that I really, really also wanted to touch on, which is stop focusing so much on the goddamn S&P. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop. SPX, VIX, the VIX complex. There are more opportunities from a vol perspective with things either getting crazy, exuberant, euphoric in individual equities and in commodities and in in sometimes in currencies but in other markets then it is trying to figure out just the spx right there are times like we talked about last time there are times when the spx you know whether the risk reversal is skew or whatever where, where it turns into a smile instead of a skew right or a smirk where but where you know it, it looks like a u almost and you can sell condors, or you can sell strangles, or you can sell the at-the-money straddle. There are times when it's in play. But the key is, just like much like we talked about when I told you I view sort of day trading or short-term trading through the same volatility lens, there are times when that's totally appropriate, right? Like, I'm not trying to discourage anybody. But the key is, only do it when it's in play and it's there. And a lot of the times, you know, SPX vol is perfectly priced to where, you know, you may make a little money. But a lot of times, because like I said, of the of sort of the nuances with the way you calculate volatility and the way you come up with evaluation, you end up finding that, you know, your strikes will be tested a lot more than you would anticipate from a model because there's just there's a lot because all these eyes are on. It. And the same thing with VIX, you know, like 
are you really going to risk maybe a Vicks doubling for just two ball points right now? You know, <laughs> and, and, and I know Tyler tells me, you know, people, people want more vol trades in, 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 in the program, but people have to understand that, like, you can't force stuff. That's how you end up getting caught with your pants down when shit hits the fan. Right. Like, but that's not to say that there is an activity and there's an opportunity. We just walk through a whole court example. There's, there's, uh, there's several different ways that you could play this, right? Like there's several ways to approach this. This is in court, but like you said, it has really weird trading hours. Like some of these commodities have really strange, funky hours. Like it closes at one twenty central time and then it doesn't open up again until like seven thirty. Just really weird. And so like, you know, it's not familiar to people, so they ignore it. But yeah. there's a lot of opportunity there, right? You have to you have to be willing to do what other people aren't. Go look somewhere else. Or in individual equities, there's all kinds of stuff around the lead up to earnings with their vol that's sort of predictable or around different events or around, say, a bad news headline, like um, whether it's a BP oil spill. And if you go in there and you really look at it and you say, yeah, this is an atrocity for the environment, but the downside puts are really overbid. This company's not going to go out. Let me sell these and take an opportunity on that and perhaps pair it off with something else. I mean, there's all kinds of opportunity that has nothing to do with the freaking S&P. And the same, and, and, and I'm I'm saying the same sort of advice for people who like to day trade. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm giving the same sort of advice for those people. It's like if if that's what you want to do, and I, I understand why the compounding can be insane, but go to where the opportunity is. Go to where the table is hot and the people are yelling and screaming and everybody and the drunk doctors and lawyers are there just throwing their money away on the ground. That's where you want to go and pick it up. Right? Like don't get in this narrow, myopic, oh, what are the S&Ps? Who cares? Are, are they in play? Is the VIX at 30? <laughs> or is, is the straddle so cheap that you just have to buy it? Right? Like, is there actually a positive edge there? If not, go somewhere else. Don't be afraid to trade corn options. Don't be afraid to look at gold stuff. Don't be afraid to go look at that gas. Right? There's, there's stuff there's other stuff going on crude oil right now. Um, you know, it's just, th there's other opportunities. And it's like, if, if, if I could change one thing for, for the really earnest, genuine people who really want to make it in this business is don't get locked into the freaking S and P like everybody else. Just don't do it. There's, there's other opportunities, there's other stuff going, you know? And like you, you point out to people, and I think this is, this is, this is such great advice yeah, it may be a hassle, and yeah, there may be a whole lot of inefficiencies with getting accounts set up and understanding the terminology, but the crypto markets. Yeah. Because again, my core worldview, my core ideology, my core belief is that you need volatility to make money. So you need something to move a decent amount in order for you as a person who's going to profit from the movements to make money. You know? Like... That's, that's just, as a trader, that's what you need to be thinking about. And that's why I always anchored myself in it, and that's kind of how I was trained. But it's true. The more something is moving, the more there is for, for, for all parties involved to make some money. But, you know, you look at, when you just go through the data, and, and you look at these times where the ES is only moving three or four points, 
and, and you look at these gurus and stuff. It's like, dude, how are you? T- you're telling people to, to to do all this other stuff and to work on themselves, and it's their fault. The bottom line is the freaking market's not moving. That's why they're not making any money, right? Like, but if they go somewhere else, perhaps they will. And so, just always keep that on the forefront of your mind. And you, and, and, and I, I can, I can, I won't guarantee it, but I'd be willing to bet that most people will see a huge improvement in their trading if they do that. I am of complete agreement with you. Uh, and and you know, being a systematic trader, I, as you know, I won't trade a market until I, a physical asset until I've done the back test on that asset. And as we talk about all the time, it's, I don't use code to do it. It is Chris sitting with his laptop manually going through and back testing every trade so that I just learn how the asset works. And yes, yes, yes. I spent so much time doing SPY and I, and this was back in, I think this was right around 2010, 2011, right around there. I was constantly, well, I was trading Russell futures, but I was doing this SPY option strategy forever. And I was okay. I was doing all right. But one day I just had this magic idea and I said, I wonder if this would work on another asset. Like, you know, I don't know, there's 50, 60,000 assets in the world that, that I had at my fingertips at that point in time. And I'm just like, I'm an S&P person because I've somehow put myself into that space of being an S&P and, and that's what everyone was talking about. And I just start, I'm like, well, let me try my, let me try this strategy on DIA, you know, on, on the Dow uh, ETF. Let me try this on oil. Let me try this on, uh, back then, I don't know, probably uh, banks or something like that, you know? And I'm like, holy crap, this actually works. This, this, and, and over the years, I, <laughs> Basically, if I can get an S&P strategy, like, like a quick way to do it for me is if I can, I'll get an asset and if, or, or a strategy and I'll trade it, a, you know, maybe 20 or 30 back tests on the S&P. And if it comes out positive expectancy, I know I have a big winner on my hands. And at that point in time is, okay, S&P get out of my way. And now I start looking at where are, where are the, uh, you know, the rich pastures there? Where is it, you know, the where is there a really good opportunity? And that's why I love trading crypto because so many, yes. so many people in our space are just so myopic, like you say, about the S&P, about bonds, about trying to be into this, you know, euro dollar, you know, the, the, not, not the euro itself, but the euro dollar fund, like getting into this big, huge macro space to, to participate in the conversation or something. Um, but, you know, they're like, if I can make, a million dollars a year trading Bitcoin. I will do that. And if I can make fifty thousand dollars okay, a year doing S and P, why would I do but that? Chris, but, Chris, but Chris, here's where I have to interject, and I have to okay. for, because I think that this is something really, really important. And you know, a, a, a quick book recommendation that I think will fit into what I'm about to say is Britt Steenbarger's Trading Psychology 2.0. I love Dr. Steenbarger. Yeah. But one of the things that occurred to me from interacting with a lot of retail people, and then being fortunate and blessed enough to know a lot of prop and professional market makers, one of the things that occurred to me that was sort of the distinguishing characteristic was a lot of the retail people, even if they were doctors or pilots or lawyers or professional people, there was a lack of strategic critical thinking 
that was really hurting them. And I don't know if, if it was a chicken or egg problem where it was like, okay, people told me I need to be looking at, like you said, the, the ES at, you know, in regular trading hours and I need mm-hmm. to just try to force it and I need to just be super disciplined and, and, and make something happen, even though it's not happening or in Forex or whatever it is. Or if it, it's just that they don't, they just generally speaking are, have been institutionalized in a way that, you know, I do this and I get a carrot for it. I do this, I get an A for it. I'm not really sure which came first, but I do know that it's a huge problem. And so like what you'll find is when you talk to people, they don't even get to the point where you're at. They're self-sabotaging before the game even starts. They don't have, there's, there's not, in other words, there's not a strategic focus from day, from, 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 from moment one. I see this on the options in the Voss side. You will have people who will say, I'm a short vol trader. I'm an income trader. And I'm saying, dude, have you looked at the data? Have you looked at the, the, the flickering lights on your screen to see if you can even sell anything? You, you haven't even like, so you're, so in other words, if I'm the market maker, I could, (laughs) I could sell you or you could buy a, you could, you could sell an option to me that is basically like a negative VRP. Like it's a it's a losing proposition if you do it over and over again, but you would know because you don't look under the hood. You have all you know is you've locked your identity into being a person who sells quote unquote insurance, and I'm going to get my income, and you don't even know if the policies you're selling are freaking WMDs. <laughs> so before you even get to a point where you're saying, "Oh well, I was going through, I was doing all this testing, and I was doing it manually, and I was doing it the long way," and then I realized like, "Hmm, maybe I should try something else." I'm telling you that a lot of people don't even do that. Like a lot of people are like, it's the strangest thing. And I'm telling you, I see it all the time where people want to make this like a really miserable office job. It's just, it's, I don't know if it's, if I, I don't know if Kahneman probably doesn't have this in any one of his biases, behavioral biases, but people want to make this an office job. They want to make it white collar despair. And it's like, like, what are we doing? Like, you know, and, 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 and don't don't let the takeaway be that I'm saying or Chris is saying don't trade the SPX options or the VIX or anything like that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if you do it, you need to be able to defend your rationale and your trade expression as if you're going in front of, of, of an investment committee. You need to be able to tell me what's the edge in what you're doing. It can't just be that I'm an ES trader. That's not good enough. That I show up, you know, like a robot or like an office drone at whenever the bell closes or opens in your time zone and I just figure something out. It can't be that. It has to be, well, okay, you know, there's a ton of movement going on. The ATRs are elevated. So I think, hey, if I can just, you know, if I can just swing or, or scalp a few points, now's a good time to do it because things are really moving. Right. That's good enough. But it can't just be that I do this because this is who I identify myself as agreed so it's like before we even get to where you are people have to stop stop and think strategically think about okay what is my edge in what i'm doing and i'm not one of those assholes who will tell people that there aren't edges out there there are there you'd be amazed at the stuff that all these phd level guys leave on the table there's a ton of little stuff out there that smaller smaller traders can take advantage of and make a nice living off of but you have to drive with both hands on the steering wheel and with your eyes open. 
if you are walking around blind, just just showing up because that's who you've locked your identity into becoming, like you're gonna lose money because you know things rotate. Hot money rotates. You know, like people don't. You know, the blackjack table is hot one day, and then the next day the roulette table is hot, and so people move, migrate, and move around, and, and money moves around, right? So you want to look at what's going on, and and now that I know something's going on at this table, how can I best create a trade structure that will take advantage of it? But but you know that's that's like really important, and it and it took me a long time to realize that most people don't think like that. Mm. It's about being effective, right? Like don't because I think a lot of people get caught up, get locked into to tactics and to efficiency because there's so many gadgets and so much technology out there, and both of those things are a trap. Don't worry about being the most efficient, fancy guy in the room. Just worry about being effective. And 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 so and there are thousands of stocks out there. There are stocks that are and the cool thing about stocks is there's something moving every day. Yeah. So if you're a guy that wants to compound and maybe you don't have the largest bankroll, but you want to be active, look at stocks. There's something moving every day, but it's on you. And then again, this is this is sort of the business side of it, right? You need to have your watch list and your process organized to where you're alerted when things are moving, right? And it needs to be displayed to you in a way that makes sense to you, right? Like these are, but these are business values. These are, this, this is what, um, I think his name is Brent Bashore. He calls it business hygiene, right? Like these are just basic fundamentals, but these are a lot of the things that, that you can build really robust edges on. But this is the stuff that matters. It's absolutely, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I, you know, one of the, one of my advantages that the best edge that I have, so I, I have a belief system that stacking edges is, and there are edges out there, proven edges. You just understanding that you don't have to, like a lot of people, a great edge I have is using buy stop orders to go long on a break above my like the, the previous bar high. If it never goes above that, I'm not actually in the trade. And over a, you know, over a hundred trades that could take 16 to 30 trade losing trades off my, off my books right away. That is an edge. Exactly. Just whereas most people draw a fancy line, they say, okay, 29, 22 is where this is turning. So I'm putting limit orders in down there. And it's going to turn on a dime at 20, 29, 21, and I'm only take one point of heat and it's going to rally to 3,500 or something like that. And if you're able to just take that one single edge and say, I'm only doing this. And I know that this is an edge because I've gone back and I've looked at it over time. I've done, I mean, my, that one edge, another advantage I have is that I'm willing to do the work. Like, People sit here and talk about you got to put out, you know, all all the hard work in studying your charts and you know coming up with your thesis and all those sort of things. I I believe that you should be doing manual back tests of your strategy to determine if it that that's the, where the hard work is. And the thing about it is, about you know one percent of the entire trading population will do that. They it's not that they don't know. 
like you say, though, it's, it's the critical thinking that they haven't been able to do to come back and say, you know, what is everybody keeps telling me that this is how you do it. And this is what everybody's talking about. Why don't I just do, do something different that nobody talks about? And people try to do use efficiency tools. That's a, that's a great edge right there is, and I'm, I'm kind of misusing edge in that sense, but it's a great, it's a great way to see things. Okay. If everybody's over here and talking about this, but I know this exists in that whole equation and nobody talks about it. In fact, people are like, yeah, I don't worry about that too much that my ears perk up. And I'm like, well, this is where I'm going to, this is where I'm going to spend yep. my time. That's exactly <laughs> right. Because so, so if we, if that's exactly right. And so if we back up in, so part of this, part of what helped shape the way I understand this stuff is, is being fortunate enough to have access to, to market makers and money managers and guys like that. And seeing, and, and I would just observe them. And I was just listening. And, but seeing their research process and how they, how they sort of build their edges and their programs and their, their funds and stuff like that, what you see is a ton of groupthink and sort of a formalized, generally accepted way of doing research and finding yeah. edges. Yeah. And within that, they leave a whole lot of meat on the bone. Yeah, there's they discard stuff. And I'm like, whoa, dude, you know, but if it doesn't come through sort of the Fama French factor lens or if it doesn't come <laughs> through a certain way. Right. Like they just disregard it. And so what happened and, and this sort of led me into, into the way my understanding was that I started and I came about it through a slightly different way than you did. But my way of always getting familiar with how a market works is just looking at the summary statistics and just going through day by day. And I, I would do this in Excel long before I learned how to do anything in Python. And I would just say, you know, what's a, what's the most common range I should expect in XYZ market on a day, on average, on most days. And so then when I would, if you come in in the morning and you know, you, and you, and you know, you have a certain Delta in your, in your options position or your vol position, you're not surprised like I see Chris, and I'm sure you see this too. I see people that will that will take big chunks of losses. That I'm talking about mainly in the active trading space, um, and I'm just kind of sitting back watching. As you know, that's not necessarily what I do, but I'm just sitting watching. They're like, man, you know, blew through my stop, big day, and I'm like, well, you know, if you looked at what the volatility was pricing in, or even the the, the average daily range, like that totally is going to happen what 60 70 percent of the time <laughs> you know like yeah. anywhere in that one standard deviation range right like that should be expected that's the most common occurrence right and so if you place your stop inside of that it's going to get hit <laughs> you know what i'm saying but yeah. but what i'm but but what you and i are saying is that that shouldn't happen to a professional the professional should already know the ranges and the swings and the highs and the lows on a typical normal day and so therefore like you shouldn't be shocked if you place your stop inside of a daily range that it gets hit now if you think you're good enough to be able to predict the path that precisely that you can be inside of one standard deviation of, of movement and still win go for it me personally yeah. if you do that a thousand times over i think you're going to lose money and then yeah, i think I, you're going to be handing money over to every guru who's going to try to fix your quote-unquote psychology when really it's a technical deficiency it's a it's a critical thinking deficiency it has nothing to do with you as a person Absolutely oh for sure to do with yeah for sure 
Yeah, the um, it it goes back to what you're saying about the you know being at this all time high and you know huge low vol setup. It doesn't mean like yeah, that's what we're getting at. You just don't take the trade. There's there's nothing there. You know, yes, you, exactly. you already know your statistics that it that you don't have to play that game. You can play another game, and yeah, there's um, it, it's it's it it is odd that that people are so focused on the actual um, focusing on being right. And I mean, this is this is truly where you know one of the best advantages I have is is that I've gotten over the ability to. Or the desire to be right on every trade, you know. Once you've knocked out thousands and thousands, first of all, just thousands and thousands of back tests will do it. But if you're able to stay in the market more than a couple of years and you know be positive, eventually it gets you know it gets like burned into your brain that you know what I'm actually I, I lose a lot, and I'm you know that that's okay. Like, well, that's, I that's think part of the because, job. I think that I think that it, it becomes a lot easier of a pill to swallow mm -hmm. if if your your signal or your forecast was actually disproven right so like like in other words no i was really just wrong on this like it was literally i just had the direction i had the signal completely wrong versus mm -hmm. i don't really know if i got the signal wrong because i'm undercapitalized and my stop is too close totally there's so many things in there Right. Like, and if I'm undercapitalized and the stop is too close, then that's where you lead into this vicious circle where you see people saying, well, damn it, I was right, but the thing stopped me out. That should never, ha I shouldn't hear that from you. Mm -hmm. the, and again, like, you know, you talk about the professional, right? Yeah. Like, that's the work of trading. The work yeah. of trading is not that, I mean, it's, it's super easy to lose if, like, you gave it the room it was supposed to have and your signal was just wrong. Then it's like, dude, I was just wrong. You know, like it is what it is. But if if there's any sort of gray area, that means you didn't do your job as a professional. You're not putting yourself in the position to even see if you're going to be right. Yeah. Well, and shorting shorting the top of the S and P, you know, a professional knows that, uh, you know, a bull quiet with with drifting ATR. Well, first of all, let me let me disclaimer this: I have a small short position in the micros on the S and P. Um, but 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 I I have here's the thing: is it's it's the standard setup. Whether I you know trade it, um, I mean I trade it the same way I trade it any or trade any other asset class, any other thing. It, it just the, the trade shows up. I know that the likelihood is. Not it's not you know a hundred percent winter. I know that I'm going to get stopped out, and I also know no, I don't know that I'm going to get stopped out. I know that there is a you know average likelihood that I'll get stopped out, and that's why I have stops. Um, I'm happy to get stopped out. It means I'm wrong, and or right. timing's off, or something is not right for me. Uh, my system something, and that's information because I have a system that I it just over time. That sig if it stops, it's also a signal that something yes. bigger on the upside is probably happening, and it likely that'll generate a, a long signal for me as well. And um, and I also know that at these big round three thousand, these big round numbers where the whole world is trying to pay attention to it, weird stuff happens. You know, we may hit twenty nine ninety nine point seven five, and 
drop down to twenty two hundred right there. Never hit that magic three thousand number that everybody is so excited about. And if you and if you and if you've traded the S and you stared at it and you've mined the data and just got familiar with it, you know that there's you know, there's no market in the world that is more likely to do something weird like that than the ES. Totally. And eventually if you step back out of the sky. If you if you step back and look at it on the chart, you're like, oh it's obvious and you see these things, but you're like yeah, I know that reversal happened, and I was shorting that. Like, notice the the ten bars prior to that first big down bar. Every one of those looked like big juicy sell signals until the last hour of the day when they rally to the end or something like that. Now you have this pretty yes. candle that looks just oh, it was an obvious buy, open at the bottom, close at the top. No, you you go through a weird day, but um, but it but it is so in you know like I know. 50% of the time on this system, actually this is more like 65, 70% of the time, it's a it's a higher win rate system. I know that it's gonna be right, but that doesn't, even if it's 99% you know, right, there's still 1% that it will be wrong and you take your loss and you you know, you know continue on. And, and you know, what saves you, and you talked about this earlier, is your position sizing. You know, you know that, if I know that I have a five point stop on let's say the S&P, because let's, <laughs> Everybody knows it, right? Because everybody loves S and P. So yeah, a five point stop. And kudos to the SIBO and the CME because they're making bazillion marketing. Great marketing. It is just drilled in people's people just love the VIX and they love the <laughs> SPX and the ES. But on a on a five point stop, that means that my position size because I, I use a protect R method for position sizing. So my entry to my stop gives me my number of points. And that is 1% of my account balance, usually, or 50, you know, half a percent or whatever it is, that'll give me like a 20 contract type setup sometimes, you know? So if I, if I have a five point stop, I take a five point loser, no big deal. I make a two, like it only has to go 10 points and I can get out. And for the average trader, they don't even, they're not, they, they can't see that that sort of, a 10-point move in the S&P is like a blink. Like, it's, it's, oh, wow. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that drives me crazy. You're absolutely, yes. That's true. They're, they're now, looking see, for what big I swings. Do, what I do is a little bit different than yours in terms of the, like, I, I personally, like, you know, hard stops on the server, like, it just never, like, the way my brain works, it just never made sense to me. So what I do is I'll look at the average daily movement or the volatility of the instrument, and I'll say on one contract. Right. Yeah. And I'll say, what percentage of that is my bankroll? Yeah. Right. And so then I'll say two times that that movement is a reasonable place to, to place a stop or an exit. And I'll mm -hmm. say, OK. And then I'll just go look at my bankroll and say, you know, what is what does Kelly tell me? What does have Kelly tell me? And yep. I'll say, can I afford to do this or can I not afford to do it? If I can't afford to do it, then I, I just I have to, you know, there may be a synthetic way to replicate it with options. There may, you know, but. The one thing I'm not going to do is just give my market or give my money to the market based on noise. Right. Yeah. Like like and that. And that's the that's the, the, the biggest thing that people need to learn is like because, Chris, what you're really getting at is that a lot of people are undercapitalized for the way for relative to the volatility of the instruments they want to trade. Totally. Absolutely. Um, and if people don't and if people aren't comfortable with like the conversions and like square roots and like logarithms and log returns and all that stuff. A good way, at least for the future side, to sort of a pro roughly approximate. Again, this is not advice. I'm just trying to give some heuristics and, and some tips, some pointers. 
um, is to look at the margin requirement that the exchange or the that the exchange like the CME makes you put up. Assume that that dollar amount is how much you can make or lose in a day, because the exchange sets those limits, right? So if the ES is like um, last I checked the ES on one lot. Uh, overnight maintenance was like 6700 6800 right? So expect that come hell or high water, there's going to be a day when you wake up and you'll be up or down $6,700, I'm talking about a 24-hour round-trip cycle. Yeah. That will happen. Yeah. Right? may not happen that often, but it will happen, right? And so if if that's too, you know, if you got a $10,000 account, then <laughs> you don't need, you know what I'm saying? Like, then you don't need to do that. Right. Yeah. And so that it's just it's it's. But again, this all goes back to like placing yourself in the best position to where you can win. I absolutely agree. And you know what? what I love the the fact that you can it, with a ten thousand dollar account. There is definitely. And he, here's the interesting thing: a lot of people think that with a ten thousand dollar account, they're going to be able to make you know five hundred dollars a day day trading. And I. I will say I know, only because I've been in this game a long time, I know about five or ten people that actually do that. Um, I've seen them do it on a $10,000 account, make $500 a day, and just scale up to mass. And, and the thing is, is after about six months or a year or maybe a couple years of living that life, and they build an amazing account, they no longer do that. They no longer want to That's, sit and dude, do that. Dude, you, dude, like, and the thing is, I don't think... Like people don't realize the wisdom embedded in what you said. And this is as somebody who's, who's, you know, I've never like, I've never started out with a bankroll that's, I've been fortunate. Like I've never started out with a bankroll that small, but like, you know, in test, like, I, like for me, I'm not huge on like, like back tech, like paper trading. That's just not my thing. It's never been my thing. So like, I will use a $10,000 account to test ideas. Like that's mm-hmm. just how I operate. Um, but the thing that as somebody who has, had some success in active trading, um, I will tell you that the reason that I chose volatility trading and more mathy stuff was because it burnt me out. Like people, always, like people who know me always say, "Man, you're you're good at it. Why don't you do more of it?" I said, "Dude, because I don't have the energy." Yeah. Like, like people don't understand to take even a fifty thousand dollar account to mid six figures or something like that in in you know maybe thirteen calendar months or fourteen calendar months. Bro, that takes it, it, that's exhaustion. Yeah. That is it, it is it, because here's the thing is that you it it, it it I hate to say it, it's doable, but the hard part about it is not what people think it is. So like people think the hard part in the example you gave of like 10,000 making 500 or 600 or 1000 bucks a day on that $10,000 account. They think it's just a matter of finding the right strategy or the right mix of rules that'll get them there. It's not that. It really isn't that. If once you once you understand these concepts of sort of ranges and movement and volatility and drift, once you understand those in, in summary statistics and all those things, you figure out that the hard part is just showing up every day. Yeah. It is a monotonous, hard grind. And and also you have to you have to be decent enough at at, at sort of pattern recognition because the key to that and this is what I think because I don't think people have real guys like me or you like just normal people talk to them straight talk about you know like in a responsible way like 
<laughs> yeah, okay, you can do this, but let's talk about what it actually looks like when you actually get in it and you're alone, yeah. right? And the, the key is with that, the key is with making that work is when you when your brain recognizes a certain set of conditions because you've either back-tested or you've mined the data or whatever it is, you have to bet full Kelly. You have to, so in other words, your bet size has to be variable. Yep. So when you recognize a certain set of circumstances, you have to really press the winner. That's the only way you're going to get out of the small account hell. And you're talking to somebody who has worked with a lot of people and who's traded a lot of stuff. And I'm just telling you guys, that's the way you get out of it is, is recognizing, okay, like these conditions aren't ripe. There's not a lot of movement, you know, whatever, whatever. I sit on the size or I bet smaller. The inverse of that, when you have to, when, when you see that, okay, the ETS is moving 60 points or the ES is moving 60 points in a day. <laughs> and, and I know from my, from my homework that when ATRs get this wide, that's typically bearish chop, right? Yep. Then yep. I need to wait for rallies and load the boat and maybe, maybe go full Kelly on my contract size and press that winner, scale out. And rinse and repeat and do that until it close. And and probably, more than likely, where you're really going to make your killing is in the overnight. When everybody else is asleep, when your girlfriend or your wife or your kids are at home, you got to be up trading that. Because yeah. the key is going to be getting it while it's hot. Getting it while, while, while everybody's drunk at the table and it's 1 o'clock in the morning in Vegas and you're a poker player. Like yep. that's and, and, and these are the things because a lot of these guys, to be honest, man, a lot of these guys have never done it. A lot of these gurus and stuff. I'm t- like it's 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 it really is it's not as cerebral as people think it is. It's really more of an endurance game. Do you have the endurance to do that for six months, eight months, nine months, thirteen months at a time? It's tough. It's brutal. And it's the thing is, is the and, and 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 the money is good. You can go from nothing to even a million dollars, nine hundred thousand dollars. Like like you said, I've known people that I, I have a friend of mine. He's in Dallas. That's his thing. Like he gets off on that. He yeah. actually gets uncomfortable when the account balance gets over seven figures. He likes to reset. Sure. Me, me going back in that in that purgatory, getting hazed like that every day and <laughs> sleep deprived—that's not fun to me. But yeah. I, I don't want to tell people that it can't be done because I, it can be done. But just know that it's going to take a hell of a lot out of you, and you better be committed to it. That is 100% true. I, I mean, when I, I go through usually one, two, three, or maybe four months a year while I get into some intraday stuff, and I think we talked about it in our last podcast, like the amazing amount of preparation, the overwhelmingly large amount of preparation I do pre-game warm-up and then recovery afterwards for me because I know that... I, you know, first of all, I have sat with, you know, two or three laptops on my bed, uh, you know, with CNBC or Bloomberg on TV and you're pretending to sleep all night long during, you know, during crazy, crazy. 2011 was a, was a, uh, 2011, 2012 was a great example of that. Um, there were some yep. big overnight, big overnight yes. issues and, and I couldn't, you know, because I, I caught my, I, I it's, it's an addiction almost. You like, you fall into that trap and, but you know, the, the people that I know who have done and do, you know, turn small accounts to large accounts and do sustain it over time. 
they are the reason one reason I have those habits is because I've learned from them. They are just yes. phenomenal at basics. Just yes. like, you know, like Steph Curry, you know, just he's so the professional sports, uh, professional athletes are so perfect at the basics. They just focus on them so methodically that they can do a little bit with it. You know, Jordan and, and LeBron and, you know, all these people, you're like, wow, they just do everything else. But yeah, they can dunk and, and, and hit shots from everywhere. But if they can't dribble well, it doesn't matter. And that's where the opportunity opens up, you know. And so I, you know, I know a guy in Montana. Um, he makes about $5,000 a day. Every time he's tried to go above 5000 he ends up giving it all back. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and, it, you know, he, I talked to him about position sizing. And, and, you know, it's like, this is a great example. He's like, yes, I know that I should be trading, you know, 50, 100. Like, I should use position sizing algorithms to help me do my trading. Because, you know, yeah, $5,000 a day on, you know, that, that's, that's over a million dollars a year. He makes that. He can't make more than that yet. Mentally, he hasn't been able to get there. But the thing about that guy is, you know, he trades from a laptop. He has no extra screens. He has no nothing on. He has like classical music playing in the room and just a big view of the mountains and the lake. And that's it. And he just, but it's a 10 hour day for him, a 10 hour yes. day sitting and staring, waiting for, and he, to be even more goofy about it, he takes one trade and he, there's a couple of days that he actually doesn't get a trade and he just doesn't force it. He's so disciplined at that that he's able to just sit there and squeak it out. And he started at a much smaller account. He got to five. I guess he, he says that he, like in his mind, he had just envisioned $5,000 a day as his big goal. He drilled it into his mind. And now he has to unwind that goal in his mind because he's, it is so wired into his brain. He tries to go above it. He loses so, it. But, but Chris, it's so funny you, you tell that story about your friend because it, that's been my exact experience with, with those types of traders too. Right, like, is they have these weird mental quirks and blocks yeah. and superstitions, yeah. And like you, and so with my buddy, um, it's, I mean, we're talking. Here's a guy who can take three thousand bucks to half a million dollars in a year, oh. right? Like, I mean, and that's like he gets, like, he really gets excitement from that. But when you start talking about more sophisticated styles of trading, above that five hundred k threshold, he, it's like, it's like. A, a short circuit or something like he just he loses his brain and he starts doing erratic stuff and irrational stuff it's, it's like it, it's really weird but he he really finds his comfort zone in that sort of distressed under-resourced undercapitalized state he he's at he's at a complete serenity in that and for most human beings that i've met and i'm including myself in this i don't like being in that state bro i don't yeah. like being in that in that fight or flight mode at all times but there are and, and i think this is why um and i'll say the people that are operating in good faith just try to dissuade people from from day trading and, and, and especially doing it in that way is because knowing that most people just don't operate well when the walls are caving in yeah for sure they think they do um, they think that, right you you think <laughs> you do until you, you know, let's say, you know, if you're new and let's say you have, you know, your first, you know, $10,000 day or whatever, dude, it doesn't freaking matter because unlike the swing guy or the position trader or the volatility trader, 
Like the money's not working for you. You have to get your ass up and do it all over again at 5 a.m. tomorrow. Yeah. Because otherwise you don't make any money. Yeah. So I don't care how great Tuesday was. You got to do it again on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday or whenever, whenever the markets are open. Yeah. And and I'm telling you, the psychology of that is brutal. Yeah. It, it's it's a, it's a good exercise if you if you really want to um, develop some discipline and, and and really challenge yourself. But as a career choice, I just don't. I I just think it's I, I think it's probably bad for your health. Yeah. Um, I, I just you know it, it can be done though. Like I think the thing that you and I have both seen is that um, it's not like this unicorn that people are chasing in, in a big mystery. Like there are people who do it. There are people out there who do it. Like I, I would never say that it, it, it isn't being done. It's just a matter of, um, you know, is it a, is, is that really how you want to build this business? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, lastly on the volatility thing, on the volatility front, um, and, you know, again, like I don't want to discourage anybody, but I will say this. Generally speaking, in my experience, the more sophisticated the trading technique is, mm-hmm. the more capital you need. So when I think about the things that um, are more nerdy and more quantitative, like, let's say, pairs trading or like the industry term stat ARP, um, they, there actually are some good edges that the, you know, AQR and the other funds can't pick up on that. So there's money in like pairs trading, really in in equities and trading the components against the sector ETFs. You know, there are there are small in quotes uh, funds that make damn good returns trading those. There are Mm -hmm. traders that that you know on prop desks and stuff that trade pairs and spreads and stuff like that. But understand that for the retail guy, like you need to be capitalized to do it because it's an expensive strategy. Right. It's, 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 it's a little bit more complicated, more moving parts, and it's costly. So don't try to go, you know, again, this all goes back to putting yourself in a position to win. Right. And in, in, in critical thinking and setting yourself up the right way. You know, if you if you are on the smaller end of the bankroll and you're listening to this, maybe you do have to go into what Chris and I are talking about, which is ultra discipline commando mode. Maybe you have to do that. And. But, you know, always try to match sort of your financial level, your bankroll with the strategy that you choose. You know, for the guys that, that, that are well capitalized and that's not an issue, then, yeah, you need, maybe you can consider more of the more um, sophisticated or complex strategies out there. Not just volatility trading. It could be pairs. It could be future spreads. It could be calendar spreads. Um it could be value, like deep value. It could be the Jesse Stein approach, which is extremely profitable. It's just a lot of hard work and due diligence. But I mean, there's 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 so many strategies, and there's there's a lot of ways to be successful. Just make sure you pick the one that's right for you. Yeah. Well, and and also the asset. Like I build. Um, so just a, a. I got to a point where. I am doing pretty good as a swing trader now, <laughs> um, and and actually just more preferred. I mean, I've I've been day trader, I've been overnight trader. You know, I've I've run the gamut, I think. Um, and what I find to be the most successful and most reliable and most enjoyable for me 
is when I say, okay, this is what I want my lifestyle. This is, I have this lifestyle available. Um, you know, I can get up and work at 2 a.m. Do I want to do that? No. Okay. Uh, do I want to work in, you know, U.S., like be at the U.S. Open, U.S. Uh, New York Open? No. I sleep through that usually these days. Um, I mean, I roll out of bed and, you know, the market's already been trading for a good half hour, hour a lot of the times. But one thing I really enjoy is spending 15 minutes a day at, you know, an hour after equities close to scroll through my charts, boom, 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 update my spreadsheet, boom, 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 boom. maybe have a trade. And, you know, I'll probably have two or three trades a week and they'll probably take a, three days to a week to play out. And, and that's it. And I can, I, you know, make just as good a living doing that as I ever did day trading. Um, right. You know, it's just that now I have 23 hours and 45 minutes to do other things. And right. as a day trader, I, I mean, of course, you have to get there somehow. But um, and, you know, I want to throw the other thing out there is of the, you know, five or 10 people that I know who are just outstanding day traders, uber successful. I know 2000 dead bodies along the side of the road. Right. <laughs> um, so we're talking outlier when I'm talking about somebody who can make, you know, from a small account, take it to a large account. Um, th th these are outlier people. But, but and, Chris, but Chris, but the thing is though, when people hear that, like I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you're saying. I think the problem is in, in why I always want to do this podcast with you is like, when I want to really give people the stuff that can really help them. Yeah. And I think when people hear you say, I, I saw 2000 dead bodies along the road amongst the, you know, five or 10 people that actually are outstanding at it. I think they need to, what we're, what we've been talking about is the reasons why that is. Cause I think, I think it's nothing to be scared of. and It is nothing to run away from the, don't, don't let the failure statistics discourage you if you're in that situation and you really want to do it mm. but i think people need to understand the re at least in my experience i can't speak for you the reason is that a lot of those 2000 fail has more to do with they're just not they don't have the they've run up against physical capacity constraints right it's not that they're not smart enough it's not that it's it's that they didn't have the they didn't have the stamina and then, and then, and, and in the other part, another significant percentage of those people, at least in my experience, um, they didn't really have. They just showed up and said, "Oh, I'm a day trader." Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, a re a real easy way to like jump to like you know the upper percentiles is just to have a plan and find something that moves. You know what I mean, like. Like it's, it's, it's simple stuff like that. And you can already improve your odds of success, but I think what you'll find, I think you and I both agree on this. What people will find is that the more you, the more you research and the more you sort of back test or like forward test, like day trading per se, at least for me, I came to the conclusion that, man, that's a lot of work for a little bit of return. Yeah. When I could just hold the damn thing for a couple of days and, make a little bit more money yeah right like it just for me that's just to conclude like it's like dang man like i'm waking up you know every single day doing this when you know so so what a lot of times what you'll see in with uh the day training is that you'll buy 
if and if you're good at it, right? If you if you if you have some some wisdom, you'll you'll buy, you know, in the morning, you'll sell, you know, as you get the favorable excursion, then you'll shut it down, right? Yeah. Then you'll come back the next day and all the market did was just you end up you're so you're buying higher and then selling higher, hopefully. When really you could have just held for that whole swing move. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's like, why am I doing all this jostling and all this hyperactivity when really I could have just held for this one swing excursion? Absolutely. Um, and the people that are good at it aren't bothered by that. They don't care. They're they're yeah. just agnostic to that. They're like, oh, okay, well, I don't care. You know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to, I just wanted people to know, like, the actual reasons why people fail have nothing to do with it being, you know, like the rule, like it being, you know, like an Indiana Jones crusade to try to find a, a, a winning set of parameters. Like it, that's yeah. not the reason. It's not hard. It's implementing the parameters and being disciplined with it. That's, that's the real hard part. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I could, you and I both, like anybody who wants, is having a tough time and thinks, Hey, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I really want, I, you know, like I want to learn how to uh, learn a strategy that's profitable. I can, I will build and give them away for free and just tell, you know, this is the entire thing and to a hundred people and maybe one out of a hundred will actually, and, and give the exact parameters and just don't do it. And I can guarantee that, you know, at best, you know, two or three people are going to actually be able to implement it and sustain it over time. But if you put it out, you know, you run it on paper and, you know, it, it let's say you trade the winning trader and everybody else, the people just drift into, they get bored. <laughs> That's actually probably the, the toughest part about trading successfully is it's so boring compared to all the other shiny things that a Bloomberg or a, um, a Bloomberg terminal or whatever is going to, is going to offer you. Uh, and, and, you know, you turn Bloomberg on TV or any, you listen to anybody, look at Twitter or anything like that, talking about things. And everybody's talking about this microeconomic and that thing and this and that and the other. And you get drawn into it. And Tesla earnings today, for example, you get drawn into that stuff. And then yet you have a system that properly capitalized and executed is a million dollar a year system, which turns into a two million, a four million, eight million exponentially growing potentially. Um, those are sitting there all day long, but people are focused on all the shiny things, the S&P again, uh, yep. for one, or, you know, just, just not taking a, an approach. The markets, financial markets are scary for a lot of people. So they think that they need to go and learn everything because it's just really smart people. And I, 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 you know, I know a fund manager and he's a systems trader and all he does is a simple basic strategy and he spends the rest of his time just kind of thinking about like all right what am i going to put in my quarterly letter to my shareholders to make me you know to kind of justify the management fee uh exactly you know it's like 15 it's he's kind of like me 15 minutes a day he actually you know spends time on the trading itself the rest of the time he's you know writing his letters to his letter to his lp and coming up with a good story that you know makes people, you know, proud that they're giving him two percent management fee, and it's fifteen minutes works a day. It's it's really crazy. It's really crazy. But um, anyway, yeah. If, I mean, like if somebody's listening to this and saying, "Yeah, I really wish I could 
come up with a good strategy. That sounds like a good idea. I want that. <laughs> like, sure, hit us up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's there's all kinds of stuff. There's stuff out there. I think I, I think the better the better question to ask if you're like if you're kind of lost, you're trying to find your way. Um, the better question to ask is, and I think you you know, I really have grown to appreciate your way of doing things, even though I'm like, man, Chris, that's, that's really the caveman sort of inefficient way of doing it. But I understand I why, because like, I think the better set of question to ask is, okay, what sort of, um, market phenomena do I want to try to effectively capture? Right. So do I want to be a guy that captures, um, a good portion of a trend? Then if you start there, then what you need to do is start thinking about, okay, that's the edge that I want to focus on. Let me go find markets that have a, a, a greater than 50-50 chance of trending based on their historical return distributions, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, newsflash lets you in on a little secret. Look at commodities, right? Yeah. Like, look at Bitcoin. Look at these are these are markets that even if you look at in, in a in a real strict sort of quantitative test, they've they've demonstrated that their tails are fat and that they have um, um, trends. Like, so a trend trader, a, a trader who believes who has beliefs about trends, mm -hmm. should be trading markets that have historically shown us or demonstrated that they will trend. Then you drill down further and you say, okay, let me, whether it's in Excel or whether you have skills like Ryan in the macro chat, who's like has the programming skills and stuff like that, figure out a way to keep track of these markets. And then when one, when one alarm goes off that, hey, on a volatility adjusted basis, this thing is moving right now, then you apply your moving average crossover or your dodging and breakout or whatever that is, right? But mm -hmm. it's, it's this it's this building blocks of, okay, what what are my beliefs and, like, what am I trying to capture? So, like, for me, I believe that volatility is mean reverting. I believe that in the very short term it trends, right? I believe that um, people are irrational, and when they get scared, they reach for, for put options in stocks, and they will pay any price, which means that that gives a premium to me if I'm willing to sell them to them. That also means that people get super euphoric on the upside and sometimes they get too euphoric and too complacent and maybe the calls get either, you know, if it's like a super in the news type of stock, the calls get bid through the roof and I'll sell those calls to you, right? Like, but I have certain beliefs around human behavior, people's behavior within auction markets and how that reflects in sort of option pricing. And so therefore... I want to go to the markets or the equities or the commodities or wherever it is and and be there to provide, to take the other side of whatever the euphoric trade is. But yeah. that's based on my belief. So it's my job to have my infrastructure in place to place me at those tables, right? But in, in the reason I'm, I'm going through this is because that's very different than saying, oh, I am this type of trader, like <laughs> looking for this type of strategy. No, I have certain beliefs yep. based on my own homework that lead me to a certain style or a certain implementation or a certain worldview. And I think that's the best way for people to look at it. And I think if you sort of follow that logic chain, you'll, you'll be profitable. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, um, 
Dr. Van Tharp talks about, um, who I follow a lot, and to, a lot of my work is based off of what he's uh, written. And his number one thing is people trade their beliefs about the market. If you believe it's true, it is true. And that's, that's life, right? If you believe that somebody is making fun of you, then regardless of if they are or not, uh, that you know, perception is reality is another way that I've uh, heard it. Spoken, but yeah, if um, you know, there's some key characteristics to a trend-following system. There, you know, if you're trying to catch the beginning of a trend, these are low win rate systems. For example, yes, yes. So there's a lot of false breakouts before the big move happens, and so a lot of people. This, and this is this is you know, back, piggybacking on what you're talking about here. Uh, if you believe that markets are trending, then you're probably not going to be good at at trading. A mean reverting system, whether markets trend or mean revert more of the time is irrelevant. It's your belief. So I hand you a beautiful mean reverting system, which has a high win rate, just doesn't make huge multiples on its trade. You know, you usually, you know, take a point of risk and, and make like a point and a half of profit is and, and you're getting 60, 70, 80 percent of the time. You'll be right. Barely 80 if, if ever. But on a you know trending system, it's going to be less than 50 percent of the time just on the just on the I'm looking to get in here. Now, if you're looking for a higher win rate system, system. you need on a, on a trend, you need to sit. You need to know that just when it looks like it's going to go, it usually turns. And just yep. when it's done turning, it's usually going to start going again. And so you, you take a step away and you're like, okay, I hate losing. So let me move instead of the initial breakout, let me look for a breakout, a pullback, and then, an, and then maybe another breakout or a three run strategy. You know, like there's a bunch right, of things right. out there. And you just yep. say, and this is where the buy stop, you know, buying above where you don't get into the trade unless it's heading in your direction. That suddenly you take a 20 or 30% win rate system, you're juicing it up to 50%. That's one, now, now you've, mentally you have an edge, you're, you're trend trading, okay, I believe in trends, and now I found a market that's trending or a, has right. trending characteristics to it historically. Okay, now I'm playing baseball with a bat and not a tennis racket. Cool, I'm in the right, I'm in the right arena now. And then you add another thing, like an entry technique of a buy stop above, confirming that it's trending. Oh, and now you bring yourself above 50% on the win rate, you know, and now you're right. If you're in a 50% on a trending system and you add some things to your expectancy, meaning if you're going to make, you know, 10 to one risk reward ratio on a good trending system at 50%, geez, what type of jet do you want? You know, like, but, but you, you, you have to stack these edges that are not like celebrated. <laughs> They're basic, you know, like, yeah. what do you believe? Where should what, what arena are you playing in? Make sure you got the right tools for that arena, and you know, like, oh, and let the market confirm that it's actually doing it before you jump into it. Like, those are three quick things that you could do, but the majority of traders just say, "Oh, it's trending. I'm in." How much did you buy? I've three hundred shares. Why three hundred? Well, because that's what it said in my account that I could buy. Why not two eighty seven? Well. Who buys uneven numbers? Every, you know, and suddenly, right. if you're, you know, if you realize that you can buy, not round numbers. Everybody's focused on I'm buying a thousand, I'm buying a hundred. Just okay. Well, what would happen if you were to position size perfectly, as perfectly as you could? Then you start looking at returns that are even higher. Anyway, I, I get going on that quite a bit personally because 
you, what you're saying is, I mean, we're saying the same thing. We're and and we're seeing it completely different, but we're saying it exactly the same too. And it's it is yeah, and I think and I think also to not to get all inception, you know, super several layers deep, but <laughs> when you talk about vol traders and and, and and what I would say, what I would call val, value volatility traders. Like I trade both ends of the sort of um, risk profile, in other words. So like for me, like there, so back in the, back in December of 18, when we had, when everything was selling off and, you know, the skew was super, you know, the, the SPX skew turned into a smile and like all options were bid up and people were just going crazy and panicking and volves through the roof. Like that's a time where sort of a, a, a higher win rate strategy has a positive expectancy and that's what I want to enter. So that's a time when I want to be short, short ball, short gamma because people are just panicking and things are going crazy. Right now on the flip side, there've been plenty of times where, because I stare at this stuff all day, where the because the the CBO's greedy and the CME's greedy and everybody wants to make money, they they basically have daily options now, right? Yeah. And if if yeah. you, if you want to play Inspector Kajic like I do, there have been plenty of times when fog gets real cheap, and those straddles don't take anything for the ES to move, you know, for you to make a little bit of money, right? Yep. Like, and so buying the straddle would be the equivalent of a lower win rate you know 50 percent or lower strategy but because of the 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 ev of it and mm -hmm. because of the discount of it and the pockets of value i'll do that like i'm not wedded to either side it's just where where do i see some good pot odds yeah. and 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 that i know that might confuse people or just start out because it's like well chris is saying like you have to pick one well you don't you just have to visualize sort of the return distributions in your head or even model it out on a piece of paper or, or in Excel or in Python. But you have to be able to think in the long run, but still, I, at least the way I trade, identify where the value is. And that can be, in some cases, that could be in a higher one, right, which would be like a short gamma or a short ball, or a lower one in, um, with buying ball or buying gamma, right? And, and it just depends on where you feel like the good opportunity is. And that's more of an advanced level when you get to that point. That's sort of like, you know, getting to the higher Nirvana level and it, and it takes a while to get to that point. So when you start off, right, just to keep, because there are plenty of people, right? Let's be clear. There are plenty of people who just sell downside puts on the SPX who make millions of dollars, okay? But they're not fancy like me. They don't get off into... But the key with those people is, and this is what you're talking about, and this is why I think it's really great advice on your part, those people know when not to sell those puts. Yeah. So if you are going to be a person that doesn't want to fancy it up and play both sides of the fence and have you know, you know, um, positive skew trades and negative skew trades all in one account, all in one style, then you need to know your side inside out. And you need yeah. to know what's good for your side and what's bad for your side. Because... If you do, if you are the person that's just going to say I'm going to be a single strat person, then you need to know when when the conditions are not ripe. Mm -hmm. You know, I think Talib calls this via negativa or the removal of right. Yeah. So, in other words, you need to know when to sit on your ass and not doing anything because totally. that's when you're going to make your money. Yep. And I think that's the most important part of of what you're saying is like, okay, you know, if you're gonna if if you're gonna say 
that I'm just this momentum or trend following type of person, fine. More power to you. But just know that there's a lot of times when there aren't any trends. And yeah. be able to identify when you don't want to get whipsawed and give away all your profits. Right. And so that's just the thing. And people need to be cautious and aware of that. But there's nothing wrong with being a, a sort of single strategy person per se. Um, it's not the my brain doesn't work that way because I'm the first thing I think about is, well, nothing is the same way all the time. And why would the same opportunity present itself all of the time in the same market? Like, that's weird to me. Mm-hmm. But but there are people who do it successfully. It's just that those people have an intimate understanding of, like I said, when to, when to sit on the silence, and you should. And, and to your and what you make people do, Chris, which is right, be able to say it to me in a paragraph. Yeah, you know, tell be able to articulate to me. This is why I, I I'm in cash right now because X Y Z setup is not there. Okay, then that's good. Then that makes sense. And you know, like, go buy your jet. <laughs> right. Well, and it comes back to what you're saying about, you know, focusing on a certain, let's say, um, asset. So if, if I'm a, and, and I am, for all intents and purposes, a single strat. Well, I'm not really a single strat. I have a strategy that has a mean reverting. It has a couple of phases to it. So it's either mean reverting, trending, extending the trend, or, you know, exhausting the trend. But... Generally speaking, I just have a universe of, we're probably up to about 20 assets right now, mostly currencies and a couple of uh, um, futures contracts, ags and metals and energy. And I literally do exactly what you're saying. I scroll through my charts every day at an hour after New York equities close and discover, is there a trade? It's binary. Is there a trade? Yep. Is it their trade? Or nope, 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 nope. And if there's no trade, I don't trade. And my account doesn't fluctuate dramatically up and down. It's just a nice, simple, steady trend. Uh, With a lot of, if you were to look on a day-by-day basis, it would be kind of sideways on on, uh, asset value or on, on, on account value. And then there would be about a week or two where it trends and then it goes sideways for a little bit because I sit on my hands and I've, you know, I've discovered, I've thought through like, how do I want to live my life? I, as you know, you know, me and my wife, we travel the world. We live out of suitcase. We hang out in Airbnbs and we like to, I like to hike. I like to do all these things and that, that don't mean me sitting in front of a screen all day and yelling at, at Twitter and Bloomberg. And I just, this is the life I lead. So it's a hundred percent the case. And like you're saying, so you're a, you're a single strategy trader. Then you just create a universe that's big enough to fund your lifestyle. If, if there's one trade per year, well, then that may not be the, you know, at a 50% win rate, that's a tough one. So you that, need to, exactly. you have to expand your universe to, uh, you know, maybe you drop your time frame. Maybe your strategy yep. is needs to have 2000 assets in it. The, or the, in the uh, in the universe of assets that you trade or you know mess with that that way you can you know you can get into it and be involved. There, I mean, you just have to keep going down that path. Like, oh, I found this amazing system, high win rate. 
good R multiples, you know, great expectancy, looks beautiful. I love the style. I'm a trend. It's a trend. All these things. And then, you know, you have three trades per month. And that's exactly right. <laughs> and, 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 and but Chris, but here's the thing, though. Right. And 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 I don't want people to listen to us. And then you'll go on one of the big name, um, the big name podcasts and listen to them or, or listen to the pundits or the gurus or even in some cases, the CTAs or the fund managers. Um, and because, again, this all goes back to self-actualization and doing what's best for you. Because in the, and where I'm going with this is that what you'll hear from CTAs and from fund managers, is, and this is where I think people get confused. I'm trying to sort of predict into the future like the issues that people will, will run into once they, once they leave us, so to speak. And like one of the things that I, I think people run into is they'll be confused because you'll hear a Meb Faber – or some of the big guys, or West Gray, or any of the sort of the, the big-time fun guys, they'll say, well, in order to properly capture momentum, you need to be, essentially, have all irons in the fire simultaneously. <laughs> and, and then that person who's listening to us, who may be new, will say, well, Darren and Chris said that I need to just trade what matches you know, my strategy ID, right? My strategy ID card. And <laughs> what I'm going to tell you is that those big guys have 200, 300, 500 million dollars in assets under management. And so they can literally afford to just hang out in the ocean and wait until a wave comes. Yeah. So so because what I, I've and I've gotten to debates with people about this who are fund managers who will say, well it's irresponsible to t- to even they will tell you that it's irresponsible to even recommend trend following in futures markets or in anything else if the person doesn't have you know the tens of millions of dollars to diversify and have all irons in the fire in case a trend breaks out in some obscure market like emissions or power or something like that right yeah and i just think that that's such a an arrogant sort of privileged viewpoint on trading and i don't think that i don't think that that has to be true for a person who's smaller I think that they can do exactly what you do and do just fine. Yeah, and I know because I've seen it. But 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 I just know that that's kind of the 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 sort of cognitive dissonance that people are going to run into if you listen to other stuff and you'll hear people say, well, or or you know, with value. Well, the best way to do value is just to go buy X. XYZ fund managers ETF, who will expose you to all the potential value situations in the world. <laughs> and you and, and and then after a decade you've only you've only made two percent compounded, right? Um but I don't I think you can do like you know Mr. Bean or do like Alex and do just fine in value in a very concentrated portfolio, right? But again, do what's best for your situation and your bankroll. You know, and I'm just I'm just guessing that most of the people in MO don't have five hundred million dollars. To be able to have all, you know, to be able to play every single possible trend that may possibly occur in a, in a random market. So I think that um, I think that it's really important that people still stick with what you're saying because just understand that we're talking to the guy who's really trying to to grow his wealth, who's not starting out the gate wealthy. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, like I listen to so much of the advice out there, Chris, and it's like, dude. 
and, and it's always a fun exercise to go to go on Barclay Hedge or the hedge fund databases or the CTA databases, and then you you, you match up the personality on FinTwit or on on Real Vision or wherever the outlet is, and then you go look at the AUM they have, and it's like, oh wow, now your advice makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're really just talking to other PMs like you who get like institutional allocations. Yeah. You're not talking to like, this is the thing, man, dude, like, like your friend who makes a million dollars, that's nothing in this business, which yeah. is a good thing, but that's not like nobody cares. Oh yeah. He made a million dollars. Like, you know, one of my mentors, I just talked to him for a while yesterday and he's just like, yeah. So, um, running an account up to 10 million, that's not a big deal. Yeah. You know, and and he's, you know, he they're they're these guys, they think differently, man. They're in they're playing a completely different game, so you have to you have to really include that when you when you listen to their advice and the, and the advice that they give. That's true. That's true. That I mean, you know, a lot a lot of what they're doing on Real Vision and Bloomberg and all those things. That it's you know it's inbound marketing. You know, that's they're gonna get. LPs look into like oh, I like his story. I'm going to make an allocation to there, and you know all that. The the disconnect is, you know, this this I see all the time. Not just not just people running up small accounts to big accounts, but actually what I see, like you know, okay, if you have a small account and you're trying to run it up to a big account, you already realize that you, that's a very big, uh, big you know, bite to take. It, it's not, a, you know, that's, that's, you're going to be a success story, a super success story because it doesn't have that much. But normally what I see is somebody who has been successful in their career, uh, whether a doctor, dentist, lawyer, developer, designer, you know, anything, uh, entrepreneur, and they have a bunch of money and they want to, they get into the idea of like, now I'm going to manage my own money. This stupid guy over here or you know this fund manager was managed it and charged me 1.65 percent and and then 20 percent performance and did nothing the market doubled in the last you know five years and i got nothing and and you know so they they open an account and especially because they have had successful careers and they have good amount of capital they don't think starting with ten thousand dollars is you know, and trading one micro contract, you know, or trading the euro, you know, like precisely or a crypto precisely or, you know, one share of stock. They don't see that. They're like, well, I've got $20 million. Why would I do it with $10,000? Well, because this is how you learn. This is how you get it. And a lot of times they'll come in with a big amount of money and they'll turn it into a small amount of money real quick and, you know, never completely do become good at trading. They'll have some great wins that they'll remember and it'll probably draw them back into the game another year or two down the road when, once they blow up an account and they'll come back thinking, okay, I'm restructured. I'm re and never get to the important part like what you're talking about. You know, it's just getting really focused on things that actually make sense, not things that, like thinking about the things that make sense too, not just listening to uh, Meb and, and O'Shaughnessy and, you know, the, the prolific people um, but, 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 dude, but dude, I really think, I really think the, 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 the retail guy, those guys are brilliant, right? Especially Oshan. I really like Patrick. Oshan. I think he's amazing, right? I think yeah. he's just boy genius. Right. But mm -hmm. I don't know if people actually look up how many assets they have under management. It's over a billion dollars. Yeah. 
So ask yourself, like, when you hear when you hear a guy like that talk about like the research that they're doing or the strategies that they're implementing or how they view momentum and value and all these different factors, do you have anywhere near the budget to be able to implement it in the same way that he's doing it? If yeah. you don't, listen to him. Listen to how he thinks. Brilliant guy. But then you have to apply it to your own situation. And that and, and, and that's how you're gonna get out of the rut. That's yeah. how you get out of the cycle. That's the I'm telling you, dude, and, 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 and because you have to build a high level of self-efficacy and self-belief and self-confidence. That's how you get out of it. That's really the secret. The secret is you figure out that, okay, I need to do this, which may not be pleasant, but this is going to get me out of my small bankroll, small account hell. This will actually get me out of it. And I may not want to do it, but this is, this is the, the, the best thing on the menu for me currently. And I think, if, I think more, the more people really start to internalize that, then they'll make the turn and they'll be okay. Yeah. But it's just that they don't, generally speaking, like, they don't have anybody who really talks to them in this manner. You, I'm telling you, dude. You be, you be surprised. There's not a lot of people that just give people straight talk, and and talk to them like adults. Adults who are interested in starting a new career and becoming a professional trader. They don't have people who talk to them like that. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's even, you know, even the prop shops are, uh, you know, the retail prop shops. I should say, um, you know, like Top Step and and all those. Um, the, what I like about Top Step is that they do. Sorry, uh, Top Step Trader is a um, basically you put up a fee, you do a paper trading tryout of uh, usually it's a handful of futures contracts, um, and you trade within their trading parameters. And if you're, you know, if you're good at it, they'll give you money. Um, other prop shops, you you know, that retail can get into without having a you know a, a, a math or science background, are you pretty much kind of try out you you know put up a strategy, uh, put up a little bit of cash to like buy into the service to prove that you're you know actually going to do it. You paper trade that's you present the strategy, you paper trade the strategy for a little bit, and then at the end of time, you know, a certain window, they're like, okay, yeah, here's two thousand dollars. Um, or will match what you have, and you know, you if you have a ten thousand dollar account, a lot of them will throw in ten thousand. So instantly, you're swinging a twenty thousand dollar account um, as a retail person. And the only reason, like, think about this: your downside, their their downside's covered because all your losses are covered out of your account. Once your account's done, you're out of there. But they're putting in a, a great amount of work to say, hey. We're happy to fund people who know who are good at this job. Here you go. We've got money for you. It's it, it's all yours. You come in. You present the idea. Sounds interesting. Let's see how you do it. You paper trade it. All right. You made money over that period of time. You stayed within the risk parameters. We feel comfortable that you can do good with our money. Here's a little bit of money. And I mean, I know a, I know a guy who's running. He started out like ten or fifteen years ago. Uh, ten years ago. Uh, he's running a $20 million prop book and at a retail firm, not, not like, you know, the big prop trading, institutional prop trading, but a retail firm. And, you know, the average account size there is probably five or $10,000. He's running 20 because he's just consistent. 
And it's, you think about this being consistent, making one point a day and you have 20 million to work with, like one point on $20 million, you know, whatever 1% risk of 20 million, you're going to make $20,000, $50,000 a month. Like that, that's not bad. <laughs> and you know, that's what it's, that's what it really, the, the successful retail people are doing that, like going out and you rev share it. And in fact, they take 20 or 30% of the profits that you make. That's it. You get like 70 to 80% of the profits every month. Like there's, there's a lot of ways to go about this and, and it all looks like being consistent, having a strategy, obeying, you know, being very disciplined and, and just continuing it over time. That's, that's the solution. Like it's, <laughs> we spent two hours talking about that. <laughs> um, two and a half actually. All right. Anything else we want to cover here? No, I think, I think you covered it with the prop shops. The only thing, the only, um, sort of, uh, warning I would give out for that is because when I say prop, I'm thinking about, um, you know, old market making firms like, uh, in Chicago, like group one or, um, you know, those are the, and you, that was a great caveat by you to say that, you know, they do typically cherry pick STEM guys and people like that. Yep. Um, cause I, I was just thinking the other day, most of the guys I know that are, um, market makers and options are STEM background of some sort. Um, but to the point about um, just quickly about the point about like top step and stuff like that, and even SMB to a lesser extent, because I think SMB and T3 are, um, are good options for people. But the thing you want to think about though, is what is this, what is this quote unquote retail prop opportunity? What are they asking of me? And then going back to everything we talked about with respect to strategy and thinking critically, you know, it like, you know, if you look at some of the parameters in some of these places, um, I don't mathematically see how it's possible. Almost. I mean, I know there are there there's 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 outliers, but generally speaking, to keep your risk that tight. See, th the problem is is like if you if you start saying okay uh, a new hire can never lose more than 500 bucks right well that doesn't really tell you anything because how much the absolute dollar amount you lose depends on how many contracts you trade that has nothing that doesn't tell me whether or not you have a valid signal or a valid method of forecasting future price action right and so my only thing would be that okay at least give me a legitimate real opportunity don't come up with these sort of arbitrary sort of weird hurdles for me to jump over that don't really have that don't really prove anything right and so that would just be my thing because like 500 or 50,000 I mean that doesn't tell me anything about your edge what is that that's, that's silly I mean because then you start ending up in you end up in the game where like we were talking about we're just putting stop losses inside of noise just because of what? Like, that doesn't prove anything. That's random trading, right? Like, um, so, I mean, I think, yes, there are valid retail prop opportunities. Just do your backgrounds on, the, do your background, do your homework on the ones that are actually legitimately really trying to give you a shot. 
and I think, like I said, um, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing anybody, but I, um, I do have, I have two people that I know that are at SMB, and um, they have seven-figure lines or whatever that they swing. Um, and then I knew one person at T3, um, which is a situation where you kind of put up your own money, and they just match you and match you depending on how well you do. Mm-hmm. They have some pretty cool ways of measuring, like, um, you know, what your valid, what your average volatility is, and what your drawdowns are, and stuff like that. And that's sort of, and if even through all that, if you have good edge, then they'll continue to add capital. But you know, do your own, everybody do the, do your own homework and figure out who you want to go with. But just if if some if if a firm is asking you for something that doesn't make good basic quantitative sense, then it's probably just it's probably a bucket shop. You know, I would agree you know with saying? that. I would agree with that. I tried out for well, like ten years ago. I did. Uh, I went through the. Pr- I don't know what it looks like today on Top Step, but I did like the Combine. This was when they were first coming out, and I was like, "Oh, that's kind of a cool idea. Let me try it out." And yeah, it's like you know, my edges did not work with their trading parameters. Like you know, you, I'm, I'm a more longer term. Like I'll, I'll kind of. I had a system where I would you know. Look at the first uh, twenty minutes of the market, and then it was a you know if the, if it met that condition, it just sat long the entire day or short the entire day. Exactly. And then, and, and you have to exit ten or fifteen minutes before. Uh, I, I forgot what the rules were, but like you couldn't sit through financial or uh, economic decisions, and it was uh, it was a very very hectic thing. And I, I was just like you know I I can make money just fine. I understand I'm trading. So they're they're looking for you know a specific type of trader, and they come from floor trading background. Um, right, right. They're very much a bit uh, uh, you know like focused on that. And I think people do okay. I think there's a handful of people that that just fit that prior or that requirement and probably that's do good. Exactly maybe right, Chris, that's maybe that's, they, that's yeah. exactly right. You're right, hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Yeah, but I uh, yeah I mean and and there are people as well. Like if you have a really good strategy. Like there are people who will fund strategies. There are yes, yes, yes. I mean, because there's so many people that lose money. If you can actually perform, even you know, even if you're doing a thousand bucks, just to prove that you can do it over, you know, get a year, get a two. If you're in college or something like that, you know, like build it up over time. Or if you're already in a current career or something like that, you know, like. Um, but but if you can build a strategy that you can manage, like, and that's everything I talk about. It's just you know, cut your expenses down to nothing as low as they can be and then all you need to do is make more than that trading like especially how i live you know if i'm i can cut it down to like 500 bucks a month probably or a thousand bucks a month with you know doubling my wife in there um like i could i could move to a lake out in hungary and you know rent a place for like 471 bucks a month and just make a thousand dollars every month so how much according to my strategy do i need to have in my account to generate more than a thousand dollars a month. Okay, I probably need like twenty five thousand dollars. Let's make it thirty five thousand just to be safe. Okay, I have a program. I have a way to come. Now I need to go and get thirty five thousand dollars. I have twelve thousand right now. I'm going to continue to trade my strategy, build that up over time. But I'm also going to look at maybe a loan, maybe borrow money from family, maybe get somebody to go in and right. say, hey, something like. And you can, you know, or 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 you save up or whatever. You know, continue to work your job and add Uber driving or something on that and suddenly, you know, you're there and you're living, you're living your dream. Same with any lifestyle, right? Same with any job. Make, you need to make $25,000 a month. Okay. You might need to have a couple million 
that you're swinging to make that happen or a million or half, you know, whatever, who knows? Anyway, um, I think we did a, uh, this is the super retail trader special. I love it. Yeah, because we got questions and people want answers and people want a friend and people want somebody who actually, you know, has been through it and actually can give compassionate advice. So I have absolutely no problem talking that stuff. I mean, you know, we can do another one with just, and maybe we can bring Tyler in and just go esoteric, volatility, nerdy stuff. But I feel like people, just based on the questions and all the conversations I've had and going through people's account statements that have asked me to, confided in me, mm-hmm. um, I, the, the, the problem areas that I see is the stuff we addressed today. And I think that's the stuff that will help people in whatever strategy they choose to choose to um go with yeah so yeah well darren is what's what's your twitter it is darjohn 20 i made it so long ago let me make sure well i'm looking i'm looking for it right now i i saw you uh hit me up on something today so i'm gonna it's darjohn 25 yeah d-a-r-j-o-h-n 25 yep all right darjohn 25 at twitter um hit, hit and feel up. free feel free guys i mean um you know you can hit me up in the mo mo chat or you can hit me up on twitter and um if it's you just need to work through this stuff or just need somebody to talk to like i'm, I'm more than happy to to talk to guys because i had people do it for me so i have no issue with helping other people so yeah yep. i uh i'm starting to spend a lot more time doing that myself on twitter so I think it's uh, it's super cool. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, man, I, people know. back, dude. People back on Twitter, but for finance and for trading, Twitter's a gold mine. Yeah, I I love it. It's uh, I mean, I've been I've been on Twitter for a long time, and it's only been recently that I started doing it. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun to interact. And I uh, yeah, I, yeah, there's so much good information. Some really good people. You can curate a good list and, you know, create a good community and meet people in real life. Yeah, and you and you find out that there are other weirdo independents just like you trading the markets. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, they probably have, like, you know, maybe 112 followers or, like, 32 That's followers. And always the case, dude. Yeah, and they're, they're great at it. They just, you know, they're, they're great traders. They're, you know, their follower count means nothing about how good of traders they are. Uh, it's cool. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, cool. So yeah, hit Darren up Darjohn25 on Twitter. Uh, any other way you want people to reach out to you? Uh, no. And then those of you that are MO subscribers, um, definitely you can hit me in the, in the Slack chat, man. I'm always, I always have the window up and I'm always down to talk to people. There's so many smart people in there from yeah. James to Beeren to, um, um, Jay David to Ryan. I mean, and then of course Alex and Tyler and AK. But I mean, I just I've never seen anything where there's just so many like super high IQ disciplined people. It's 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 awesome, you know. Like that's why I'm yeah. just happy to be able to contribute anything that I can because there's so many just really smart, accomplished people. So that's true, and that's uh, just since it's the Macro Ops podcast. And if you're not a member, macro-ops.com. I uh, sign up for the comm center. Um, 
you know, come for the free emails from really brilliant people every week, a couple times a week, uh, to the private, uh, I mean, we've got some really in-depth reports. Alex, is, uh, Alex and Mr. Bean are putting together some really in-depth um, research. I'm more of a systems trader and, you know, I like to work with new traders myself. So feel free to, you know, come in there, get into the, get into the macro ops community, or like you said, just, you know, hit us up on Twitter. I'm Chris D macro, C-H-R-I-S-D-M-A-C-O-M-A-C-R-O, sorry, on Twitter and uh, Instagram and Chris at macro-ops.com. But uh, yeah, you know, if you're, if you got any questions on this stuff or you want to, chat you want to you know you need a strategy <laughs> uh you want to get into it hit you know hit darren up hit me up hit up another uh trader on twitter if that's what you want if that's the route you want to go um it, coming into trading i mean if you want to get into trading feel free to hit people up be social ask questions um uh, you know offer pearls of wisdom and uh darren great chatting again man i i we're killing alex alex can't seem to get past the two hour mark. It's embarrassing <laughs> for him. Yeah, man. We the the uh the next the next time we should bring on Alex and Tyler and really just do a whole jam session and see how long we can go. I think that'll be awesome. Oh yeah. Rogan we, style with like multiple guests. That'll be oh, really cool. That would be outstanding. I'm into it. We'll talk about more than just nerding out on trading. Yeah, maybe, man. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> it's a heavy, heavy burden to ask. All right, uh, that's it for uh, this episode, Macro Ops. Like I said, hit us up, macro-ops.com, and uh, we'll see you next week.